0: In the tall grass, wish I had a pilot in a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing barskats. I wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems, that way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian, late night sitcom syndicated on TV Land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish. that every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. And every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. that every time we love and it feels just like this. It feels just like this. It feels just like this. I wish I had a time machine, wish I had a better rhyming speed, wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from a lime bean, I wish that I could spread my wings, nah. I wish that I had seven limbs, yeah. that way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish. Dímelo, dímelo. At least I kinda understand it. <laughs> wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit and get so large I could play pool with the planets. Yeah. I wish I was an astronaut. I wish I knew more classic rock. <laughs> Focused on myself. You can't help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish that every time we love in it, it feels just like this. Like, I wish, I wish, and every time we do it, it feels just like this. Like this. I wish, I wish, and every time we move, it, it feels just like, like this. Feels just like this. That's just. It's like, like who the Duncan. We would turn some dumb shit into something that got everybody wild in our circumference. Make assumptions. It ain't nothing new. Fuck a mouth. Fuck a you. I've been chewing through these Cats and kittens.
1: We're back with another episode of the debrief. I'm your host Brianna Joy Gray. Coming to you a little later than usual on a Thursday. It's been a long week. I don't know about you guys, but I took a good nap this afternoon and looking forward to crawling right back into bed after this to catch up on some much overdue sleep. But first, let's talk about what's on your minds. As always, we can frame this conversation around today's episode of Bad Faith, where I spoke to Bill McGee, who gave one of the most clear, concise, compelling arguments I've heard just really setting out all the facts, history, and need to knows about what's been going on with the airline industry, why we had such a disastrous holiday season with the breakdown of Southwest in their um, scheduling system, which apparently is beyond archaic, and why it's so difficult to reform the airlines, and, and also offer some like really concrete knowledge to counter some of the, hey, don't blame Pete, pushback that the mainstream media really pushed in the wake of that particular crisis. It was very difficult during the course of this episode not to just regale him with every um, airline horror story, because we all have them, and I don't want to get in trouble again for talking about how I had to wear espadrilles to that wedding in Bahrain, so I'm going to keep those things to myself. (laughs) But i love to hear you guys uh, tell me about how your holidays went, what you thought of the episode, um, and whether you agree with me that some candidate should just run on these consumer advocacy issues, run on being anti-Comcast and anti-United, and really, frankly, uh, unite this country under our mutual hatred (laughs) of how horrible these companies are. Um, So let's get to it. Dina, what's on your mind tonight?
2: Hello. Hey Tina. Hi. How are you? What's on your mind? Um I'm good. Um so this isn't really related to the episode today. I didn't get sure. a chance to listen to it. Um but so today I actually saw this video of AOC um talking about sort of justifying why Progressives can't do what um the Republicans have been doing with forcing the vote. Really? Um, where where was this? Let me see if so, I can pull it up. Yes, exactly. That's what I wanted to ask just cuz I think all of us would love to react to it. So it's on Instagram, on her Instagram. It's a it was like a live. It's on a black background. Um and the and it starts around like 10 and a half minutes from the end um and those those whole 10 minutes I think are very revealing and very insightful okay, it's a from today on a black
1: background
2: not from today I don't think
1: Oh, okay sorry not a
2: story like a, a live oh I see yeah and it's 10 and a half minutes from the end
1: okay, let's see if I can
2: it's yeah oh from the end of it mm-hmm
1: so forty six minutes. I'm going to go back to thirty five
2: thirty. Let's see. Is there's a lot of good uh,
3: stuff in there? <laughs> is this working? No, wait. They are in active negotiations, and it does look like they may be able to secure this either tonight or very soon. And it really goes to show how much you need of a coalition in order to really forcefully negotiate for these things. So when people say, you know, why don't we do this? First of all, there's a lot of cost and dysfunction. Second of all, those people who are holding out right now, they may have made certain structural gains, but they have also made incredible reputational and relational harm within their caucus. (laughs) And so if you are trying to get something done within your caucus moving forward, you still need members of your caucus and that at the core girl,
1: what is, you about to get done in your caucus. Okay. Kind of, right, I'm sorry. There's, there's so much
3: more that is okay. inescapable. Um, even when you look at someone like Bernie Sanders's tenure in the house, where he was the amendment King, you needed your party to pass your amendments. Um, and so, you know, you have this faction that, Is in a lot of trouble moving forward including despite having made certain structural gains so a lot of people I mean this was like very bloody like think of it like a really bloody bar fight like no one comes out with all their teeth without of any broken noses like you know everyone has had some some blood drawn and it's and we haven't even been sworn in yet Um, as opposed to the Democratic caucus. Now, the strength here, when you are in a minority, the play here is to be united as much as possible. Because (laughs) if you don't have people who break, then you can pick off the other side with just a matter of a handful of people. I I
1: have my quibble with that, but also this has no bearing on what she should have done when she was in the majority. But I'll let it go.
3: As long as Democrats don't, uh, you know, remain united in a minority, then all the votes you need to win on a certain thing are, depending on how a margin is, three, four, or five. Um, You know, and people say Lauren Boebert has more spine than you. Lauren Boebert won her race by 500 votes. Lauren Boebert took a Trump plus, what, nine district and nearly lost it to an up-and-coming democrat as an incumbent member of congress lauren bobert is dramatic wait i don't understand i don't understand yeah. what
2: the relevance of that is
3: she's she just doesn't
2: answer that question at all
1: like wh- okay so what you're telling me is that even though she's in a vulnerable position lauren bobert stood her ground for her stupid principles but principles nonetheless and you in a much safer district are unwilling to do so like i don't understand what i'm supposed to learn from that story other than that Lauren Bobert has bigger balls for stupid causes, more stupid causes than AOC has for righteous causes.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I think she just like thought the name, like Lauren Brobert, or however you say her last name, and immediately just was like, okay, how can I, like, how can I get it, like, insult, like, get. I'm sure someone,
1: I'm sure there was like a chat on the screen that she's reacting to and got triggered by. You know, like, Maybe, I'm not yeah. watching it live, but I'm sure something was scrolling by on the screen and um, okay, I'll just keep going.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Weekend dramatically weakened, And the people of Colorado nearly sent her packing. If 500 people voted differently that day, this would not be happening right now. And so, um, you know, if you're a Republican, if you're a hard standing Republican, she almost cost you your majority. And, If it, frankly, wasn't for the New York State Democratic Party and the New York State Democratic Party's leadership and the incompetence there, we would be having that gavel right now. Yes, that's true. So why are you, like, lauding these
1: people and championing Hakeem Jeffries, who's part of that New York State Democratic Party leadership?
2: Mm hmm. Yeah.
3: Okay. Between them and Lauren Boebert, we would be having a Democratic majority at this moment. So, you know, this idea that, that, like, they are somehow winning, let's just also take a step back and observe that none of these debates resulted in any policy substance. None. Uh...
1: They got Kevin McCarthy's super PAC to not interfere in Republican primaries, which seems to me, given that Hakeem Jeffries, Josh Gottheimer, and that horrible Alabama woman, Terry Sewell, all got together to start a super PAC to attack people exactly like you and your friend Summer Lee and people like Nina Turner, who Hakeem Jeffries stumped on the ground against. Seems mm-hmm. like that would have been a pretty significant win for you guys. Also, this thing that they're doing where they're like, oh, administrative wins like Pago and CUTCO CUT CO- oh, don't wait, really matter. When two years ago, they were crowing about how, oh, we didn't have to force
2: a vote because we got PAYGO exemptions. Yeah, no, she's my I think my favorite
3: part is coming up soon.
2: OK,
4: all right. all right, okay.
3: <laughs> this is not a caucus that is organized. Uh, the Freedom Caucus is not organized around any core policy issue progressives, we organize around Medicare for all, we organize around the Green New Deal, like those concessions that even if it's not all the whole farm all at once but the building blocks to get us there, that's what we fight for and fight towards but these folks, they're negotiating around committee assignments for themselves
2: that was what you Something. wanted. I, yeah. not
3: all of them are bad, mind you, but um, not all of them are good either. And they're really organized around grievance. And so, you know, I think sometimes people conflate the necessary work of outside organizing Ugh. with the internal work. Of- you guys
1: see why I groan when people say organizing? It's not because of actual organizing, obviously, but it's when it's used as a, a, an escape hatch like this it's weaponized like this by people who want to dodge accountability for what their role in this was all supposed to be
3: yeah it's like greatest hits in this this
2: 10 minute clip of
3: of (laughs) legislating and the fact of the matter is you cannot do one without the other i mean i do think there's a decent amount of organizing you can do outside of legislative goals, there's plenty, there's plenty. You can organize a tenants union, you can organize, you can unionize your workplace, you can do all sorts of stuff. But the idea that you can push and emphasize legislative goals without an outside, that part I think is untenable, um, at, at least as a progressive, actually just in general, because the right wing of the Democratic party also organi- organizes on the outside for their internal goals, but they do it with money. And as progressives, we have to do it with people. And so, you know, when you have a base that focuses most of its ire um, towards the people on their side, because YouTube algorithms reward that. <gasps> uh, She's still really mad at Jimmy Dore. Are
1: you serious? Yeah. Yeah. Are you serious right now?
2: What? Yeah. <sighs>
1: This is so unserious. Come on, girl. Like we were rooting for you. We're rooting for you.
4: <laughs> like, why do I you know. have to be like this? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like
2: the perfect crystallization. Like it's just I feel like this is the we haven't even gotten through all of it, but it's it like actually I finally feel like I understand. I get have a sense of like what their rationale is that like justifies in their head them not doing anything. Um, yeah. We've got to build the building blocks. They, yeah. They, she's
1: literally describing incrementalism. criminalism That's what, look, when people were like, Oh, do you, do you believe fraud squad? Do you think they sold out? Like <laughs> we were having all these conversations two years ago. I feel like I've always said, like, I think they genuinely believe that getting the things that they can get. I don't want to like call them scraps. I'm sure some of it is meaningful. Like I'm sure AOC, had real people that she was looking at in their eyes in her district, whose loved ones had died of COVID and couldn't afford to bury them. And when she got her $7,000 burial grant and those families were happy and grateful, she genuinely felt good about it. And those Mm -hmm. lives were meaningfully impacted. And it's hard to give stuff like that up when you're dealing with real people and not abstractions. However, like as a, as a human being, I just want to acknowledge like there's a human element there when you're in the district and dealing with people. However, it is beyond obvious that in your capacity as a federal employee as a, as an employee on the federal level who has an obligation that frankly extends beyond your district and who ran on all of these national and international issues you can't give up the whole farm because you got somebody a $7,000 burial benefit
4: mm-hmm.
1: for a disease that they might not have even died for if they had medicare f- from rather if they had medicare for all yeah There's All right, more. like I might have to do a radar about this. I, <laughs> thank you for bringing this clip to my attention. I can't believe that Jimmy and everybody hasn't already got haven't gotten their hands on it.
2: Yeah, because it's six it, days old. Yeah, there's there's also are we gonna keep listening to it? We can, we can listen to a little. We can listen to more. I'm I'm, okay. I'm enjoying this. I yeah, because it's like over it. There's but. also there's also other stuff. She starts talking about how actually they're negotiating in secret behind the scenes. She goes into some of that stuff.
3: All right, all right let's go. Let's do this. Into the hands of the capitalists who run those algorithms. And so I'm not saying that all these folks in these media outlets who stir these things up are bad. Far from it. There are incredible people um, doing very thoughtful work. But there are also a lot of people who make <laughs> and determine what they're going to make their videos on based on YouTube views and based on algorithms and those algorithms almost always reward left infighting. Um, Oh my God. Yeah.
1: Force the vote made us all millionaires. This is ridiculous. I'm sorry. I just gotta say if anything, I lost a ton of subscribers over this last spring. Like the left community split in half and half of those people were people who still in a bad faith. like, there were a lot of people listening to TYT, Bad Faith, all, all the shows at the same time. And when this happened, everybody picked a side. So TYT and them lost a bunch of subscribers, and so did I. This is ridiculous. Like, we're all better off if we're all sharing the same fan base.
2: She's also being so vague. Like, what are you, what are you talking about specifically? Yeah, just
1: say it. Like, if yeah. we, like, just say it. I don't know, man. It's so weird. Also, if it were me, if there were someone, like, if there's someone who doesn't really have much of a platform and who's like kind of easily ignored and not making much of a difference who's sniping at me ignore it and fine but if there's someone who has some significant if influence like a, a jimmy Dore or something my interest would be to call the in and try to have a conversation and diffuse the situation like i i, I would prefer like i i don't think that the conversation with jank went as good as it as well as it could have gone <laughs> but you know i i i wanted to be in a place where we weren't sniping at each other i don't want someone with as as much influence as he has out there telling his audience that i'm a terrible person or vice versa i would love to have a conversation with anna because i think this whole thing is absolutely ridiculous so why she wouldn't just and the thing about jimmy Dore is he just wants a little bit of respect honestly if she just submitted herself like he wouldn't have to probably go on his show just to have an off-the-record conversation with him as long as she didn't say dumb stuff and put her foot in it, we'll probably go a long way to repairing their relationship. But instead it's just more of this shit, which I'm sure he's going to end up doing a video about next week. That's, that's going to set her back. You know, like Mm -hmm. it's just so unnecessary. It's so, it's so
3: counterproductive. It's going to get you your clicks. Right. And so you have to be really thoughtful about, um, about some of that and how (laughs) you navigate in that because, at the end of the day we are st- we still have very small numbers in congress and our central goal at least ours is in growing those numbers which is why we're really excited this congress to add to our existing squad like in 2014 we came in it was just four of us then in 2018 we added folks like Jamal Bowman we added you know progressives uh, other other progressives we had uh, Cory Bush of course and now this Congress, we have now added Greg Casar, Maxwell Frost, Delia Ramirez, like many other progressives um, into Congress. And now where we started with four, we're getting a little closer to that double digit. Girl, you only needed four last time. <laughs> that was the whole point. Really interesting. Should we win back the house in 24? Oh man. But- You know, this is a team sport. And I think a lot of times people think elections are just about set it and forget it. I'm just going to pull my lever for someone and let them do the work. And if you're that kind of person, you know, I'm not I'm not sitting here to knock that. But if you are a left or if you are a progressive organizer, what we need the most support in is support during game time, during legislating.
4: Oh, that's game time.
3: How common it is for us to look to guidance, look to the grassroots for guidance. And sometimes you don't hear anything until after something bad happens. And so a lot of what we're doing right now is building our infrastructure, not just internally, but also starting to invest and work with our outside partners in building up more of that infrastructure, that organizing infrastructure externally. Like who? And the fact of the I'm, matter I'm is that I'm interested. Who's the outside partner? The partners? left in the United States has been persecuted. Also independent in media different, at different points in
2: history. Yeah, it's certainly not independent media. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe you could get some some like early warnings or have a feel for what the grassroots is thinking if you. To independent media <laughs> or ever just went on and and had yeah, you know yeah, I mean that's what's so just kind of
1: insulting about this i'm sorry, I, I want to say this again, it wasn't just like Jimmy said a thing, and then everyone tweeted, and that was it. This was in the middle of the holidays. we were all i don't know about everyone else, but i I came home uh ten days before Thanksgiving, quarantined, I mean remember, put yourself in the headspace of where we were back then. I came home early, quarantined because I was so afraid that spending five minutes on the train was going to kill me and my whole entire family. Uh, came out of quarantine and stayed home through the whole holiday season so I wouldn't have to come and go, and we were in a pod. Okay. Oh, Between that Thanksgiving and Christmas season where I was holed up in Mount Vernon, New York, we did phone trees. We were in a Slack channel. We were calling our Congress members. We were doing... Um, you know, Skype meetings with each other to try to plan. We were trying to plan a Medicare for All rally, like, or, or the, the Force the Vote rally in January. We were trying to put together the Medicare for All town hall. I was meeting people, talking to people on the phone. It was a very busy time. And people were working very, very hard doing something that some people sometimes called organizing. <laughs> to try to make sure that these people, cause our concern at the time was like, well, maybe they just don't know. Like we got to make sure they hear about this. We got to make sure they understand the strategy. We got to do it so that they have time because January third is coming, and now it's like December twelfth, and there's only so much time, and it's the holidays, and there's only so much time, and we got to help. We got to help. It wasn't all this adversarial energy back then. It was. It happened so quickly, and the energy behind it exploded so fast that we were just trying to do our best to organize, and the response was bullshit and we knew they knew because on some level there was the ilhan omar tweet that articulated the rationale for force of vote exactly and then there were these little clues that started coming out in drips and drabs and the and the about face from people like sam cedar the the complete and total 180 was telling and then very quickly this narrative began to form where here comes ryan graham with all of these excuses for why they shouldn't do anything and mm-hmm. here comes from mila jayapal and here comes sam cedar and here comes tyt and it was just so confusing it was so disorienting. And people, people immediately were so angry at force-to-vote people. Like, it seemed like out of nowhere. Remember Chapo did an episode where they, like, very assiduously avoided naming names, but they were so lib about it, and they were so conservative about it, and they wouldn't engage in it as a serious idea at all. Like, immediately, immediately, with no thought or engagement, everyone, all of those people were like, no, absolutely not, no. In a way that felt coordinated. A way that didn't make logical sense. Yeah.
3: I'm sorry. We're almost done. For a very long period of time. And as a result has been, was really winnowed um, very much. And for people may, who may ask how or what or why, there are so many ways you can look at it. If you look at, at federal government activity from, from, uh, from the civil rights movement or from other types of activist movements throughout American history. They have been surveilled, jailed, you know, etc., for a very long period of time. And so, you know, I just think that we are at a point of increasing and ascending organizing awareness in the United States. I don't even know what she's talking um, about at this point. But we have more to go. And the more we talk with each other, the more we organize um, the more that we can do. So anyways, all that being said, it is 6 p.m um, and we're gonna be reconvening the house in about four right. hours. Yeah right. I've got some work.
1: All I know is that she has obviously gotten a fresh manicure. It looks great. I mean <laughs> this orange red is gorgeous. the shape terrific. 10 out of 10. No complaints about this manicure and all the gesticulating that's happening in this clip. However, on substance, I got to give you a 1.5 out of 10. (laughs) Nothing here. It's empty. It's a shallow vessel. I'm not a fan.
2: I didn't even, I don't think, I guess it wasn't in this section, but what I was talking about where she started talking about the behind the scenes negotiations, she was like, she basically said the reason why they don't do it in the open is because they don't want to empower the fascist flank of the republican party and that they actually have negotiated for things like uh she actually said budgetary issues three different times and then also committee assignments which is funny and those were the only two things she could think of um as things that they had negotiated for secretly um
1: it's embarrassing
2: and it's, they got worse committee, committee appointments in
1: 2020 than they had in 2018. But that's she just literally,
2: we just heard her talking about how, like, oh, but the Republicans only got, like, committee assignments exactly. for themselves. And it's, and then, she like, she can't think of anything that they actually negotiated for and, like. Embarrassing. Embarrassing, yeah. Um, I'll hop off so that other people can react to it as well. Thank you, thank
1: you for bringing that to my attention, Dina. You're a real champion for that. Keep yeah. the faith, my friend. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, Alex, what's on your mind tonight?
5: Hey,
6: Brie. Um, well, oh my goodness. Other things were on my mind, but then that listening <laughs> made me insane. So, <laughs> um, Yeah,
1: that's the mini, mini radar. I mean, AOC is right. Like, not for clicks reasons, but because it's truly newsworthy and inflammatory. There are going to be a lot of YouTube videos based off of that clip over the next week, I am sure.
6: Well, props to Dina for having the patience to watch a whole AOC live to get to that, (laughs) because I don't have the patience for that. (laughs) Um, No, I feel like she kind of, um, AOC kind of sounded like Ro Khanna when you like interviewed him um, Mm -hmm. on Rising the other week. Like, um, yeah, which also, I don't know, it just kind of proves that, like, hey, like if you go on left media, independent media, like, The world's not going to end. Like, you're still going to have your job. Like, everything's going to be fine. You know? Like...
1: Yeah, because we honestly can't do anything to them. (laughs) We can't touch
6: them. (laughs) I mean, Rokana survives. Like, you know, his career still goes on every... It's, like, not the end of the world. Like...
1: (laughs) Yeah, um... I mean, most people in this chat are probably going to end up voting for him for president one day, so... Oh, God. Well,
6: are you... Uh, actually, speaking of Roe,ana and and California, did you hear about um? Oh, you did because you covered it on Rising. Um, Katie Porter announcing. Katie
1: Porter, that is fascinating. I can't wait to see what the left does with this. You know, the week so the week before we covered, we covered there was a, a staffer of hers that got let go because Katie Porter accused right. her of giving her and her children COVID in a way that feels, I gotta say, very Karen. The text thread between them, she. Look, I understand how frustrating it is to get COVID and how inconvenient it is and how I'm sure as a mother and as a parents are always like, you know, doing their thing about how, you know, they get very sensitive about threats to their children. I get it. Like, fine. But... The woman had just gone to, like, a funeral of someone who she had served with and was very apologetic, and Katie Porter still dropped her like a hot potato. So we had just, like, covered her from that angle, and I think a lot of conservatives are trying to paint Katie Porter as kind of a proto um, Amy Klobuchar and pretend like that she has a she's an actual abusive person in a way that would somehow be prohibitive for her running for office. I don't think that that is true, but it is interesting to see that the right is coming at her over that, and there's some parts of the left who are coming who are critical of her political ascendancy because she's a Elizabeth Warren um, stan who kind of forms herself in that mold. Um, I don't know. What do you make of it all?
6: i mean i don't know i mean i'm in california i'm in i'm in southern california um so i follow i'm i don't know out of interest i mean i don't know if it was like katie porter i mean i've heard rumors that like Rokana might run for this seat or um oh gosh i heard other names so you know there, there probably will be a fight for this seat um you think that so california.
1: is the people who were saying that like so obviously the libs were mad at her because they feel like yes queen girl boss Diane Feinstein yeah, gets to be there as long as she wants and and how dare anybody announce before she announces her intention to step down. I mean, Diane might have let me
6: not let me not make jokes. Okay.
1: The
4: point is that uh
1: who knows what Diane is going to do? Well, um
6: I mean, yeah, but- I want I mean There's no way in hell she could run again, right? I mean –
1: Well, I would have said that many a moon ago, but here we are. (laughs) I mean, It it seemed – people were saying that it was very smart, frankly, for Katie Porter to announce first and early because she did get, like, a good little wave of media attention and apparently fundraised quite a bit of money off of her announcement in a way that might not have happened if there were alternatives.
6: Yeah. I mean, I don't know. You can be a rock with a D next to your name and get voted in California, so, like –
1: Right, but fundraising-wise, you know, if there's a world where uh, Feinstein announces and Porter and Kana and someone mentioned Barbeli—I don't know what's going on there—but a bunch of other perfectly good progressives name, yeah.
4: um,
1: run at the same time, well, then there's only so much money sloshing around, and it's going to get divided up between those three. If if Porter's able to come out early and establish herself as like the con- consolidation candidate, she's—that's—I mean, it's a smart—it's a smart move for her politically.
6: Yeah, I mean and, and you made a good point on rising where I think like unlike the kind of more squad people, Katie Porter didn't promise anything mm-hmm. more than she delivered right. I mean she did kind of run as a moderate in a in mm-hmm. a risky district. So mm-hmm. it was I, a red I, mean, issue. I think she flipped it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I don't know, I think people generally got what they expected from her. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know as a like leftist in California if I would vote for her or Roe or Barbara Lee. I, I don't know, but Um, I
1: mean, honestly, I'd probably vote for her before both of them, despite Roe, you know, being more Bernie aligned and taking some, I think, better policy stances. At the end of the day, I think there's something effective about Katie Porter. Like, for one, I don't feel betrayed by Katie Porter because she didn't ever promise to be, like, a socialist. mm -hmm. She's just an economic populist who was able to flip a red district, who seems – very sincerely committed to those economic populist ideas at the very least so much so that maxine waters kicked her off the uh financial services committee which gets her a star in my book you know her getting kicked off that if committee because she was, because she was doing good yeah. work yeah. Is, is more addable to me than aoc bidding the knee so that she could maybe possibly get on some other committee you know what i mean yeah i
6: mean <laughs> um, do, you, I, yeah. do you feel like i don't know i mean even if maybe you prefer her to Rokana like I don't. I mean, it feels like you have like more access to Rokana. I don't know if that is worth anything. Um. Whatever.
1: Like, what is it gonna? Do? Like, what is that doing? <laughs> I like? don't know. Look, I, I, I appreciate Rokana coming on these shows, mostly because. But for these interviews that we get to do occasionally, I would feel incredibly gaslit. Like, if if, if AOC had never engaged with. Um, Justin, Justin Jackson on Twitter, if she had never done that interview with Jeremy Scahill just after force the vote, if Pramila Jayaba had never done that interview with Ryan Grimm, and if um, Ro Khanna never did these interviews, if Max Blumenthal had never confronted Corey Bush after the uh, eviction moratorium protests about why she didn't force the vote, we would have zero information. I just need like maybe six moments over the last two years. Mm-hmm. That's the only information, the only insight we have into what the thinking was. And in each of those moments, these folks exposed the shallowness of their thinking and their reasoning. Right. And it helped us to feel like, Oh, it helped us to realize there is no secret plan. There was no long-term plan. There wasn't some better strategy that we just weren't privy to. We were right to call them out at the time. And that I'm, I'm like extremely grateful to have that. Because otherwise, we would just be getting bullied by liberals who were telling us that, like, we just don't know better and how dare we think that we know more than the the squad and all of that. They told us, they admitted in all of those, you know, moments that they had nothing up their sleeve. History has validated, has vindicated us, and I'm so glad that we have those interviews. But apart from making us feel not crazy, (laughs) there's only so far that gets us in terms of actually achieving some of these policy goals, you know? Mm Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. so if katie
1: um, porter look if katie porter is able to thread that needle and come off as kind of more acceptable to a broader populist movement if katie porter is the one that's able to run that uh medicare for all football across the field because she she's just a regular normal like i'm sorry
6: has she ever said she supports medicare for all
1: she does i mean she endorsed warren I'm pretty sure she's a Medicare. I mean, to to the extent that any of that stuff means anything, these people all say a bunch of stuff, so whatever, but yeah, she's a Medicare for all supporter. Okay. (laughs) But if she, look, if she, if she were to get like a wealth tax across the finish line, if she were to get any number of these kind of basic economic populist policies done, hell, that's, that's more than I would expect of almost anybody else in the democratic primary field. And I, I'd be, i tip my hat to her and say, well done,
4: lady. <laughs> you know,
1: I, I'm not going to be there, you know, attending rallies and traveling across the country, door knocking for her, but like, great, you know, good. Better than someone else. Fine.
6: Yeah. I mean, I guess we'll, we'll see how this plays out, uh, but it, it should be interesting to watch. Um, yeah. Um also kind of wanted to talk about, I mean, I'm all for low-hanging fruit, mm-hmm. um, consumer advocacy kind of stuff. You know, um, I mean, gosh, I mean, I don't know. I think it would be amazing to have like, <laughs> like a presidential candidate like standing on the debate stage saying, "Don't you hate robocalls? Don't you hate mm-hmm. airline fees? Don't you hate when the volume goes up during commercials when you're watching TV? Like, mm-hmm. you know, stupid like, oh I'm all preach." For it.
1: Oh, you got me with the volume. Preach King, I'm ready to vote for you right now. What's your handle?
6: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it'd be great. Um, I don't know, right, the, the rent's too damn high guy, we all liked Mm -hmm. him, right? Um, Mm -hmm. everyone can get behind that. Um, so, I'm all for it. I mean I think ever, this sort of attention given to Pete Buttigieg right now and you're hearing so much sort of gaslighting saying, Well, what can he do? What can he do? And people literally just don't realize that actually he can do things.
1: And he's These the only one who can do things. Have to be the federal this preemption. way. Yeah. It does,
6: like everything doesn't have to suck this much. Like
4: <laughs> that's um... a great logo. Great slogan. <laughs>
6: <laughs> yeah. Um I don't know that I have that much else to say, but um I got distracted by the AOC. Uh, call, but yeah. yeah, we all did.
1: It is what it is, Alex. But I appreciate you calling in. This has been great.
6: Thanks, Bree.
1: All right, keep the feed.
6: You Let sure me know when you can. run
1: for your uh when, run for office.
6: Okay. On the everything
1: doesn't have to suck so bad. Ticket.
6: You, you got it.
1: <laughs> keep the feed. Hey, Jam. Long time, to chat. How have you been?
7: What's going on, Bree? I'm doing good. I see you. You reaching your final form in these streets. <laughs>
4: Oh, God, is Uh, that what's happening?
7: I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. Like, you not having no time for no bullshit. You just out here just calling it out. Like, ain't hey, no shit gonna change. us. y'all motherfuckers willing to change. I'm loving it. Like, bringing her final form.
8: <laughs> 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 LOL. It's been a long week.
7: <laughs> I, I, hey, you came, you came in today, Horizon, with the suit on. I'm like, oh, Brie business. <laughs> <laughs> she got the muted color She bought to come for niggas' heads. So I'm loving it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> LOL. well Robbie had his new glasses so I felt like I had to do something to reclaim
7: authority yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel it um, this episode um, this is like a chef kiss episode Like, loved it just getting straight to the nitty gritty straight to the bullshit you know talking about the stuff that needs to be talked about like demystifying a lot of stuff in like the airline industry mm-hmm. talking like really illuminating about like why shit has been like so bad you know, so that was just any episodes you do. We really can get into like the procedural stuff, and it's not, and it's not like too like hokey dory and shit, where it's easier enough for people like to understand, like flow along with, mm-hmm. like, like, like I said, just just a great episode all around.
1: Oh, thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it.
7: Oh, most definitely. But two, one to um bring up some issues that's been weird to me mm-hmm. that I haven't seen most of the um of like mainstream media really talk about, which is um. Uh, like some unionization and a bunch of shit going on in the game industry, like ZeniMax. In the gaming industry, yeah, like ZeniMax just um just got an, uh, a big uh, the biggest union in uh, the gaming industry for like a, over like 300 video game testers under ZeniMax. They are the company that owns um, Bethesda and like Ed Software for people uh, like it was, like gamers. That that's this company that like produces the games like Fallout and Skyrim and shit like that. Like those are uh, big games and big game like Doom and everything. They just mm. um got a, a huge like says the biggest union like in the game industry. The industry's been very resilient to um to to unionization um efforts and everything. Mm. And so, so that's under Microsoft. And you no, know, I haven't seen too much of like the mainstream media talk about the um, Microsoft being sued by like the FDC over them trying to uh, acquire um, Activision and Blizzard. Which was another really big, like Activision is a company that makes Call of Duty, like so they've been um. It's, um, right here because
4: you're like it's real, really big I really big
7: issues. Yeah, like it's been kind of weird. That hasn't really been talked about, like in the main in the mainstream media, like that.
1: Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, I accidentally pressed play on LC, my apologies, my apologies.
7: <laughs> no, <laughs> sorry, no we're problem. not going to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Zenimax ahead. is under the Zenimax is under a Microsoft tool after Microsoft um purchase. You know Bethesda and everything. So that's a part of. Of Microsoft and it's been cool to see that they have been pretty cool like, they, they haven't had any issues with the union I don't know if that's because though that they did get sued by the FDC so they're trying to make this acquisition and they'll like go through like this is and this acquisition is the biggest one in like the video game history it's like 69 billion dollars um oh. for like for this Activi- for this um, Activision Blizzard um acquisition Activision Blizzard yeah and um is it been another big story about like some, some developers that just, that were, uh, that's been kicked off, uh, some credits for this game that just came out called, uh, Callisto Protocol? Which was it really good? Well, I don't say it was really good, but it's a game that just recently came out, but they got kicked off of credits for like quitting, I think like a, a year or like just some, just a little bit of time before the game actually like came out. And, it, and like these are like just some regular you know, rank and file people, but like some, some higher up people too, there's been like, uh, taken off a credit. So that's like a big story. And you know, we just haven't really seen too much, like in the mainstream about it. So I they'll bring, bring up uh, some of those like issues to you.
1: Well, I appreciate that. Cause I'm very interested in a lot of this gaming stuff, not because I'm a gamer, oh, I just definitely. think it's interesting. And cause I know, <laughs> you know, so many people, it's such a primary form of entertainment and communication. And because <laughs> media people, and politicians don't really overlap so much with like gaming people. I think it is an uh, undercovered industry.
7: Oh, so much so. Like, um, like I'm we, really, really big into it and everything. I, well, like ran like some. So I work more into like the gaming industry from like the retail side. Like I manage some Game Stops, and I'm trying to doing. I'm doing now get into software development, trying to get into game hmm. dev and everything. So I'm really like locked in. to a lot like the news and stuff. Going so, on so tell
1: me what. Um, are there are there kind of commentators in the space who you think would be good? I know there was that guy. I'm sorry, oh, actually, I am think that they, stuff might, stuff. they might. They um, might. I miss maybe misremembering. There was a person who was known as like a leftist gaming YouTuber who I had on the Hear the Burn podcast at one point. I can't remember their name, and I think mm. I, I, I might be making this up, but I think they might have transitioned since then or. Or, or now not non-binary, but I, I might be making that part up. But back then okay. their name was, like, James the something or John the something. He wore a hat. They wore a hat.
7: It's going to be completely lost on me. I'm okay. more so into, like, directly, like, direct, like, new stuff. You know, like, all right, this just happened at this, this studio. This just happened with the big thing. is moving within, like, the oh, industry. Sterling. Like, oh, Sterling. Yes. Thing.
1: Jimquisition. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, you guys are so good. I gave you, like, <laughs> nothing, and you gave me back fully the person's
4: name. Thank you. <laughs> uh,
7: like, I think that the, um, the industry hasn't, like, I think it's just, like, a shame that the industry hasn't been, like, talked about as much. That's what's been making it. That's what's another reason why it's been so slow, you know, like, the change. Like, we're just now starting to see companies move away from crunch, which is when, like, um the, within, like, the year or a couple of months before, like, a game comes out. They pretty much like companies pretty much force like a huge amount of workload, like talking about working like 17 hours plus at some places, you know, j- um, to, to try to hurry up and like clean up a game and to get all like production issues, issues out. And so a lot of people experience a massive burnout. It's a lot of things where like once, uh, especially for a lot of, um, testers that's what I'm so glad that they made a union where they'll get hired on and to, to a studio as soon as the game will come out like the studio will do massive firing and that'll happen mm-hmm. that happens constantly and like on the scales of like hundreds of people at a time like just cycling like people uh, in and out but like a good person you should talk to his name is um he's a reporter from uh, Bloomberg and he wrote two books about the video game industry Uh, One of them is Blood, Sweat, and Pixels, and um, I can't remember the other name. But his name is Jason Schreier. Uh, He's a a really good good video games uh, reporter.
1: Okay, great. That sounds good. I'm going to look into that for sure. And also, now that everyone crowdsourced the name Stephanie Sterling for me, I'm also going to reach out to her and see if she's willing to come back on the pod and talk. Maybe we can get a nice little video game panel situation going that sounds like a fun little something new to break up some of the congressional monotony
7: yeah it's like it's really cool especially for uh, jason Schreier. like his second book really focuses the one i'm like blanking out on the name of it it really focuses on like some of the failures of like the video game uh, industry and like and highlights a lot of um a lot of things that uh any developers and other developers are trying to do to make the industry better. Like um, unionizing is one thing, or mm-hmm. just trying to create, trying to create um, like smaller, like work specific studios. So like uh, instead of somebody just getting hired on, like to go to a studio and getting used for whatever, like they'll they'll make themselves um, contractors just to do work on a very uh, specific things. And they and they since they're contractors, they set their own they set the, the terms and everything, so they won't get hit with, like, burnout, and everything, and they won't get hit with a uh, crunch. It's, it's really a... It's a lot of interesting uh, things. But I think they get, like, really, like, left over and looked over because it's white-collar work.
4: Mm.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think we talked about that a little bit back um, when Sterling was on the other podcast, but I remember being interesting and wanting to learn more, so maybe I'll I'll try to run by the bookstore this weekend and see if I can pick one up, if not, I'll order it, and see if we can get um, a Schweyer schweier on the podcast let me see if i can
7: find yeah, Mon- him on yeah Monza, i'll um i'll tweet you i'll tweet you uh like the, the books like the book titles and his name and everything so he's, he's probably one of the biggest like reporters in like, the video game uh, industry they said he works uh for bloomberg
1: okay jason schweier let's just see real quick if we if we're a mutual follow on twitter bloomberg then it's a done deal it's easy peasy
7: yeah. <laughs> I don't know He's- too much about like politics but he is, does seem very pro-union for like the video game uh, industry
1: oh I'm already following him where do you go it's not mutual but his DMs are open <laughs> so good. that's good enough that's good enough alright thanks for the suggestion jam
7: always keep the faith
1: keep the faith alright Eric Eric by by friendship and not by blood. Not my cousin Eric. How are you doing?
9: <laughs> I'm doing good. Oh, that's so interesting that you guys were bringing up the whole gaming thing because I'm currently playing a uh, God of War Ragnarok right now while listening. Is it good? Yes, it's a fantastic game. I really do love it.
1: So I'm no gamer, but a couple of weekends ago, I was playing this game. It's supposed to be like a relationship game. Did I tell you guys about this? where you play, you're supposed to play with your partner, and you play like a husband and wife. I think you can also make them same it, sex, But
9: um, It takes two or something like that? It takes two, yes.
1: Yes. And I was so into it. You. So for those who don't know, you play a couple kind of on the brink of divorce, and your your little girl overhears you fighting and like basically makes a wish that everything will be better, and her tears animate these little doll versions of you that you play with, and they become you. And you have to like the doll versions of you have to get back to your little girl and like you're little, right? So you're like in the backyard and everything's big and you're trying to get out of the basement and the tools are huge and you have to do teamwork to yeah, it, to get out to get back into your human form.
9: I believe it won game of the year like two or three years ago, if I'm not mistaken. So, oh, yeah, really? It's still a popular game, yeah.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: It was so good, and you can totally see how it. You will either will. Expose the flaws in your own relationship (laughs) or bring you closer together as you try
9: to work through the puzzle of it all. It was a blast. But uh what I really wanted to talk about is first thing, this this one has nothing to do with the episode, but one does. Mm -hmm. And the first thing is I'm not sure if I missed it, but did you guys talk about anything about the reason why Pete Buttigieg is so hesitant? To hold the airlines accountable Like why won't Is it just the lobbyists of the airlines are, Give that much money to politicians I think that was the Implication
1: but yeah I don't know that I don't know that um, Bill made such strong claims about That I'm not sure how much one can really Know I mean we're all just trying to read between The lines here
9: Because I can't see like the Airplane lobbyists being so Powerful that you like uh someone be like listen I could easily piss these people off but you know I'll take my pharmaceutical money and all that type of stuff so I was just wondering like the level of hesitancy he has or is it just you know he has a eventually people will just forget about what happened to airlines and we'll move on
1: I mean it kind of feels like folks already have I mean it's so weird this I mean I wasn't affected by it but it's a lot of people were. Two million people, unprecedented number of folks were, were grounded over Christmas. I just went, um, was chat, chatting with my doorman yesterday and he I was like, "Oh, I haven't seen you in a while. He's like, how was your holidays? And he said that he was grounded. He ended, he was supposed to go to Miami and didn't end up going to Miami because of the plane situation. I mean, so many people were affected and for it now to only come up and kind of like anecdote just a few weeks later, I mean, you can see how there's no accountability. Like, we're, we're all so used to not having any follow up but not having anybody punished we go to the airport our bags get lost our flight gets delayed we have to pay money to go back and forth and go back and forth to the airport we miss weddings and funerals and we all just kind of eat it cuz we feel powerless we've yeah. we've learned
9: powerlessness i was hearing those stories and it literally like makes me cuz i don't really fly that much like i literally had my first airplane flight in like a years mm-hmm. in december uh, like around the beginning of december to go to the wedding mm-hmm and afterwards, when I hear what everyone went through, particularly with Southwest during mm-hmm. the holidays, I'm like, I would never, I would not want to travel. Because yep. I'm someone, first of all, like I don't like being trapped in areas and places and confined spaces for long periods of time.
4: Mm-hmm.
9: So, like, I would literally just, I'm done. I'm leaving. I don't care anymore. All like, give me the money that you can give me, and I could not deal with it. It literally makes me not ever want to travel during the holiday season. Same. I don't want-
1: because people i had people laughing because after i got back from that france wedding trip i had over the summer that from which i got covid i was so through i was telling people look i'm not saying i can afford to fly first class because i cannot but i am saying that i'm not traveling again unless i am in first class
4: <laughs> which means
1: i'm not going anywhere <laughs> you can't get me on a plane i swear to god i had such a miserable experience (laughs) with flying international flights and changing and going to a smaller city and taking a flight to a flight and missing the flight and the connection and the trains and the there was a it was just it was too much i was like there was nothing about this that's worth it i'm happy to just go where the amtrak can take me i'm happy to take a shorter domestic flight hell we can even get we can get to mexico real quick (laughs) we can get to canada the caribbean's right there but I'll tell you what, I've traveled enough in my 37 years of life. I'm not getting on another goddamn <laughs> seven hour flight in oh, no. the back of that thing like a tin can. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it.
9: Mm-mm. So, the second thing I wanted to talk about is that, uh, that, um, uh, I'll call it an episode you did with Robbie talking about the 13 year old boy. <sighs> mm hmm. I was in those comments and the level like I literally felt my blood pressure mm-hmm. rising because I and it's like this is the, the the people and their willingness to just rationalize this man shooting this child
4: mm-hmm.
9: I'm like I don't like I'm like, literally like who cares it's a car I don't care if it's your only line of getting mm-hmm. to work mm-hmm. and if that's the case then the issue isn't with like, I know he liked to bring up, well, what if, you know, that was the person's only line of getting to work and blah, 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 blah. Well, then the issue is with our system that mm-hmm. will allow a job to penalize someone because their car got stolen. That's mm-hmm. not the issue with the third. And then the whole thing that got me was, like, 30, like he's 13 years. He, he, like, first of all, this idea that, first of all, we know nothing about this child. We, nope. First of all, we're assuming that he was stealing cars.
1: Correct. We don't even know what he we
9: was doing. We're assuming that. That's the first problem. And people are like, well, why would a 13 year old kid be out at 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. at night? I'm first of all, I'm like, first of all, were you not a 13 year old kid? And even, let's, like, I remember when I was younger,
4: mm-hmm.
9: there was, we used to have this abandoned house on private property. Mm-hmm. And we used to sneak into that house
4: mm-hmm.
9: all the time.
4: Mm-hmm.
9: All the time. Completely private property. Like, this idea that 13 year old kids don't do you know, rebellious things, even good kids. Mm -hmm. Like this Mm -hmm. is a natural thing. Like the things we used to do as, you know, 13 year old kids that we never thought twice about. All the
1: movies I watch, okay. Even Spielberg can have these little kids running around in Super 8, filming train crashes in the middle of the night, Mm -hmm. bicycling to each other's house like Harriet the Spy. Every, Mm -hmm. Every single Spielberg movie you've ever seen has some little kid running around at night, going to their neighbor's house, uh, uh, standing outside playing boomboxes Outside of their neighbors or throwing throwing Rocks at your friend's window at night Is like an actual trope In movies to wake them up And go get up into, into youthful hijinks But I'm sorry like I You know I can't bring up Race on Rising or I suddenly Get painted like I'm Al Sharpton yeah. But like I, You can't tell me that if there was some little white kid named Connor Who was bleeding out in the middle of a street Because he was running around in boston or wherever the heck sorry i'm just trying to pick a whiter town but like (laughs) you know that people would be like oh yes look if i see look if i see little matthew outside you you better gun him down because if i can't get into my camaro and get to work tomorrow it'll be it'll be over for me so we absolutely have to kill your child Uh
9: uh-huh it it, it, was, it. it made me. I was. I was gonna lose my mind. I'm sorry. I was gonna lose my mind. It was like, and this it, to me, like, in people who try to, and like, it really makes me like question the people who think like. I want to want to say, I'm like, I, there was a couple of times in the comments, like, I told people straight up, you are not a good person if you think or try to rationalize that taking the light Even if, sometimes, you know, oh, even if he was an adult, it still right? doesn't matter. It right. did not matter.
1: Even if he was an adult who was fully stealing
9: the car.
1: Look, even if he's an adult with a criminal record who's fully a car thief, you do not get to take someone's life extrajudicially and make that decision based on what you think is happening in the dark because you happen to own a firearm.
9: And another thing I realized a lot from look, looking at those comments is how many people really don't have an understanding of what crime looks at in this country. Because I really think of so many people be thinking crime is the wild, wild west. Because people are like, well, I think Robbie said this. Well, you know, he could have been in the car, you know, and just the fact that he got in the car, he could have been dangerous. That car is a dangerous weapon because he could have, you know, hit someone with the car. Or And people in the comments are talking about, well, he's an adult and he's still the car. He could have been up to no like do you realize that most time anyone doing any type of crime it's like They want to do it get it done And not have anything extra To it
1: yeah it's- also Like I, they were making fun of me for joy Joy writing is like a very common yes. Thing like, I'm not making this up. Like, I don't think it's right and good. Look, also don't lecture me. My father was killed by a drunk driver. Okay. I don't, I don't take driving crimes lightly, but I don't also want people to be gunned down in the street because you think they might be doing something bad. Like, this is not difficult, folks. People joyride. Kids joyride. Do I think they should? Absolutely not. And if that kid were alive, I would say he needs a good talking to and some. Penalty, not not criminal penalties, but he needs to get his life together. But we don't have an opportunity to tell that to that kid because somebody murdered him in the street.
9: Mm-hmm. Who, first of all, took it upon himself. First of all, it was, I believe, like, we still think it wasn't his car. Right, you don't even know. He could have been coming out. His mama could have
1: said, Hey, can you run downstairs? I left, I left my pocketbook in the back of the car. Mm-hmm. And that little kid could have been going to his own damn car to get something out of there. You have
9: no idea what was going on. It was such, it was like, it was one of those moments, listening to the conversation and reading those comments that makes me like, I have this thing that I talk to my friends about. Like sometimes when things happen, I'd be like, I'm just waiting for the meteor to come and just wipe us all out. Cause <laughs> we ain't shit.
1: Yeah. Like at the point at which I realized I was going to have to try to like explain to someone the value of a human life, much less the life of a human mm. child. Like I was like, I don't even want to be here. Like yeah. I shouldn't have to explain to you why a, the life of a child is worth more than any car or any inanimate object on the entire planet. I would incinerate the Hope Diamond. I would, I would burn down the Louvre. I don't give a shit. This is a, this is a human
9: child. What is wrong with you? And another thing that really got me about this is, is this really set home how we weigh certain types of crime we like when it comes to like car theft any type of theft burglary or any type of thing we have such a heightened um uh you know negative regard for that versus you know uh wage theft from places like Walmart mm-hmm. corruption from you know big you know pharmaceutical companies like pharma you know like the Purdue what happened to the Purdue uh family and how they were able to get uh, get away with a lot of the stuff that they did I don't think anyone went to jail for that
1: mm-hmm. Look the Sam people. Bankman Freed Let me let me read you this We talked about this this morning a little bit but The, the, the guy we had on to talk about Sam Bankman Freed Teddy He visited with Sam earlier this week And wrote an article about what it was like To go and visit his house And this is what he wrote He wrote Okay about, about Sam, now he sits stir crazy all day, eating vegan burgers delivered to his home, playing video games, voraciously consuming Twitter, and doing uh, a hell of a lot of ruminating and anti-pottering pottering, pottering around his parents' unostentatious $4 million home.
9: Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> what, what a life of only. And the last thing that I would go through is this also brought up again. The dynamics that happen when, like, you look at what happened. I'm not sure if you follow anything with UFC, but Dan, Dan, um, Dana White got caught in video in an argument with his wife. Yes. And then he slapped her. Yes. And he's getting no repercussions whatsoever. Yep. None. I have seen UFC be completely kicked out of UFC, who've been arrested. Because of the domestic violence and this man has no repercussions whatsoever. Yeah,
1: I heard people saying that y'all were madder at Will Smith for slapping yeah. a man who insulted his wife than you were at a man for fully slapping his wife down mm-hmm. in a club.
9: It's it it is wild how and I think it's literally to me it's because of one, he's white, yeah. and two, his position as the oh. Oh well, not the owner anymore, but the the face and head of the UFC. Oh, is he? Cause I don't know
1: anything about him and his
9: background. Yeah, also, is was, that,
1: Eric? Is that background well, noise coming on your end or are we getting that thing where people who aren't actually in the queue are able to yeah, talk?
9: I think we're getting the second one because there's no one talking much. My- okay, that's weird. <laughs>
1: All right, go ahead. I'm sorry,
9: but yeah, I just had to. Br- I just had to bring up that instance because it was literally like giving me a headache. All day since that um since you guys covered it on the rising, so thank you for you know no, like the th- therapy session
1: Thank you for validating Eric because I had like I mean I was obviously frustrated in the conversation, but I kind of felt like okay Robbie might disagree with me here but clearly the rest of the world is gonna agree with me so let me just let this go It's evident that a child's life is valuable and it's fine and then I was up late doing the radar and I looked at the comment section. And I saw it almost, it was like 90%. Well, if you don't want to get shot, don't touch a, don't be 13 at night touching somebody else's car. And I was like, holy shit. I want to press the ejector seat right off of this fucking planet.
9: <laughs> Same boat. You guys, have a good one.
1: Have a good night, Eric. All right, David, what's on your mind tonight? Bye,
4: girl. Bye
1: was that? I, I just heard someone say goodbye leave each other know. footsteps away if that's happening in your universe if you are part of the bad faith extended universe here and you've opened up a portal like benedict cumberbatch into this conversation and somehow your audio is coming on know that that's you if you just said goodbye to somebody Know that your audio is being heard by us all, and you can go ahead and mute yourself before we hear something we wish we hadn't. All right, David, hey. what's on your mind?
10: Hey, Bree, can you hear me?
1: Yes, I can yeah. hear you.
10: Hey, so uh, is it all right if I play a clip from, I've been trying to get on the call and since your Ralph Nader in, interview. Mm-hmm. Is it okay if I play a clip real quick? A clip of what? Uh, tell me if you can hear it, of your interview with him. Uh, sure, is it relatively short? It's one minute. Okay, go for
4: it. So called
10: unstoppable, the uh, the left right uh, alliance to dismantle. uh hang on.
11: YouTube just uh, crapped out. No worries. So called unstoppable, the uh, the left right uh, alliance to dismantle the corporate state, and I came up with twenty five areas where you have left right support. Which adds up to over seventy to eighty percent in the polls. Mm. Once you have that, you have an unstoppable movement. But as long as the liberals and conservatives don't talk to each other, I'm not saying there are any differences.
4: There are really differences,
11: but on corporate power, which is the dominant form of power in this country, the fomenter of poverty, of racism, of sexism, you name it, classism. It starts with corporate domination of our government and about everything you can. Talk to I mean they're strategically planning and they have for years our tax system uh, they're planning our, our worker workplace system they're planning
10: our elections they're planning our public budgets you know military uh, I'll stop it there because mm-hmm. I mean you get you get the point but um, basically since your Ralph Nader interview uh, pretty much every guest you've had whoop sorry pretty much every guest that you've had, uh has said something the along the lines of we need a grassroots uh nonpartisan anti corporate anti corruption movement and i think thomas frank also added populist in there mm-hmm. uh but i think it was something like ten ten get different guests, guests <clears throat> and um i just do you, I'm I'm curious what you think of like the the represent us like strategy.
1: The represent us strategy? You mean electing progressives?
10: No no no. So represent us is is a is a grassroots organization. I've tried to pitch on on the column a couple of times. But um, they're basically a single issue, anti-corruption uh, movement mm. uh, trying to get uh, money out of politics. And they also promote ranked choice voting. Um, and they push a model legislation called the Anti Corruption Act.
4: Mm-hmm.
10: And, you know, um, I think uh, Zephyr Teach Out helped, they, they, they got with a bunch of, you know, legal scholars i think zephyr teach out lawrence lessig trevor potter mm-hmm. uh, but um, their strategy is basically one of one of the excuses that the democratic party will throw is that well we can't you know end corporate donations because republicans will still have corporate donations and you know like then then they'll win right right and so represent us is strictly nonpartisan so basically they don't care if you're a democrat or a republican and to that end they actually successfully got the anti-corruption act through the state of South Dakota in a ballot initiative. It went up against a couple hundred thousand dollars of coke money. Mm. And they actually won. And the state legislature declared a state of emergency to repeal it. Mm. And that was probably the most positive thing I've seen in, I don't know, the past three decades on getting corporate money out. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know. I It just it seemed like such a compelling strategy and it seemed like it was getting a lot of momentum. And I, I feel like since covid, it's just died. And, um, you know, I've never seen it mentioned in independent media and um, and, you know, like that might just be because nobody's heard of it but um i just you've had so many guests get on and say hey you know what we need is a non-partisan grassroots anti-corruption movement and i'm just you know like have they heard of represent us what do they think of it
1: yeah i think they probably haven't um and and that's the issue. But uh, I'll I've, I'll make a note here and try to follow up because yeah, I, I mean, I think I think that's right. It's what my radar was on today, it's what I I feel like we're all kind of paring back in a cycle over and over and over again. The rising audience, conservative audiences are very receptive to it. To your point, I, but nobody will take the ball and run with it. Andrew Yang, no matter how much I say... Well, forget Andrew convinced. Yang.
4: He's, he's, Wait a minute.
1: Let me just finish no,
10: this. No, no, I know. But Andrew
1: Yang, no matter how much I say to him, can not be convinced that the forward party is not going anywhere and won't have any public trust and won't differ from the two parties that we already have if they're unwilling to get the corporate money out of it all. Like, it's very frustrating because everyone agrees on this thing, but so many new high-profile efforts don't actually
10: no, I know, but get to the root w- of it. I was yeah. slamming my head against my desk because um, I think when either Ralph Nader or Thomas Frank or one of the 10 guests who said what we need is a grassroots anti-corruption movement, nonpartisan, y- you brought up Andrew Yang. And I was like, don't bring up Andrew Yang. Bring up. Us. <laughs> but I, I, you know, I know. Um, yeah. uh, the other thing. Well, the other thing I wanted to make sure to bring up, so I'm in California also, and the Public Utility Commission here just gutted the net electric metering uh, policy here. So basically, starting this year, if you get residential solar, you're going to get 75% less credit when, you feed the, when your system feeds the grid um than you do now which mm. uh, um so last year they tried to add a $40 residential solar like a $40 a month residential solar tax which you know it like California is a very blue state we're supposed to care deeply about climate change we have wildfires um why on earth would they tax residential solar that doesn't make any sense they were going to do it it got sh- struck down and what this i like i i felt slightly positive about that um it was i was pleasantly surprised what ended up happening was i think the solar companies Uh, got in a money fight with PG&E and their compromise was, okay, PG&E, you don't want people, you know, having residential solar. We want to sell more battery backup. So what we're going to do is you put in this policy and we're going to market the battery backup to you so that Basically, they want everyone to island their house uh, and put enough battery capacity so that your system doesn't feed the grid, right? But it, it's, it's a totally stupid and inefficient uh, system, right? Because you're going to sell hundreds of batteries that nobody needs um, when when normally they would just, you know, the grid would be the buffer. And, you know, there's a reason why the modern electrical grid um, is, is designed to uh, let power flow to where it's needed rather than having everyone, you know, produce their own power, right? Mm. So it mm-hmm. just it is such a huge blow to like normal people's ability to get solar and like you know try to make a small difference Mm. um and there is no public support for it here right
1: no public support for the change in policy for the worse of course not yeah
10: yeah, who uh, who would support it here? Right? You know who's behind... Who's, I mean... So it, PG&E mm-hmm. w- tried to get the $40... Uh, they, they basically wanted to charge residential solar people $40 a month uh, just to have solar. And the solar companies f- f- fought back. But I think w- what they agreed on was... OK, and will reduce, you know, um, <clears throat> the amount of credit you earn from feeding the grid, right? So the way it works now mm-hmm. is base- basically if I have a five kilowatt system and I'm feeding the electric grid um, at night when I would be using electricity, the electricity I fed into the grid is credited against the electricity I would use, mm-hmm.
4: right?
10: So, you know, if it all zeroes out over the course of a year, I don't get charged uh, for electricity. Basically, makes sense. I mean, it, it doesn't even out exactly, but that's a that's close to what it is now. Um, basically the the um, the amount I get taken off my bell for feeding the grid is going to be reduced uh by 75 percent, which is
1: it feels like they're just stealing power from you it seems like they're asking well, they... you to generate power for everybody else it's
10: well like... they are but but they're being up front. so what you would do is you'd either like drastically reduce the size of your system so that you're never gonna feed the grid right
1: Are you able to store your own power? I'm sorry, I don't understand how it works.
10: So that's what the solar companies want, okay? They want to sell you batteries. That's why they, in my opinion, that's why they made this compromise. And the stupid thing about that is, right, if I'm going to buy one of these, you know, like a Tesla Powerwall 10 kilowatt hour battery, that battery has to, if I want, if I don't want to pay for electricity at night, right, that battery has to discharge every day like has to charge up during the day mm-hmm. and then it's going to discharge at night and you're basically going to cycle that battery every day right mm-hmm. which means that battery's you're probably going to have to replace it four times over the life of the system which is what these people want right mm-hmm. they want to sell more batteries and but there's a reason why you know the the power grid overall didn't just buy a bunch of batteries because it's a very stupid and inefficient way to, to, to manage this, right? Like the electrical engineers that, you know, design the power grid when they're allowed to, you know, um, they place capacitor banks strategically, or they use peaker plants, um, You know, to 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 maintain grid stability and you need a fraction of the of the capacity. Right. You know, you're you're going to buy like 100 batteries when maybe you needed one. Mm
4: -hmm. Right.
10: If if the grid's interconnected and you can let the power flow exactly where it's needed every second. Right. But if everybody's an island, then you just have a a hundred of these stupid batteries charging and discharging every day. And again, but that's what they want. And it's, it's this, I'm like as an electrical engineer, uh, who wanted to work on clean energy, Mm
4: -hmm.
10: like I've seen, uh, you know, if you look at the, um, Inflation Reduction Act.
4: Mm-hmm.
10: They basically invested most of the money in electric vehicles, and mm-hmm. the the best way to make it look like you're put it like you're trying to fl- fight climate change and not uh, is basically to invest all the money in electric vehicles, not invest any of it in electricity generation right so that for these electric vehicles the majority of that electricity is still going to come from fossil fuels unless you are also investing in generation right and if um if you're not if even when you're investing in generation if you're gonna invest in like a bunch of battery backup stuff you know because the the solar tax credit is also subsidizing subsidizing that battery backup right so everybody who they con into getting one of these you know is is going to eat up a lot of that subsidy money that could be used to actually fight climate change in a manner that's not stupid right
1: You know, you know what, David, you're making me realize is that it's really worth doing a deeper dive on some of the details of what's in the Build Back Better um, climate policy. I think that we have, you know, done kind of these broader criticisms of how it's not enough money, but where the money is actually going and what the kind of incentives it creates are, I I think, are really interesting test So I appreciate you calling in and talking about some of the stuff today. I'm going to go ahead and move on because, you know, there's a long queue. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to stay on that lawn tonight because I'm pretty tired but I, I appreciate you and I'm going to make a note that we need to follow up on some of these issues.
10: Represent us too. Please. Thank
1: you David. Represent us for sure. The faith. You. Uh, Chris you're up next but Darlene I've been staring at your puppy face and <laughs> I'm coming to you just
12: because I want to talk to that puppy.
4: Aww. All right. Oh cute. <laughs> <What's anything like? laughs>
12: um, shout out to uh, Eric for bringing that um, um uh, that um bringing up uh the whole conversation about the 13 year old that was killed honestly because i actually um i remember watching that and then like i literally refused to go into the rising comments like i was like i can't do it i'm not going to do Ooh, it you saved yourself some yeah, yeah i was like that. i know i'm going to get like and then the, honestly i kind of cut it off halfway through just because robbie started kind of like getting on me a little bit and it's like you know it was it was just like just watching people try to justify killing a 13 year old over a car with over a car that's not even yours which which uh-huh. is looking like that's the thing i just couldn't really get into and everything and it, the and way it, was,
1: it would be none of my business if i saw a 13 year old messing with something <laughs>
12: the Sometimes the way I'll i would thinking-
1: turn and mind my own business <laughs>
12: Sometimes, some, So sometimes I be thinking that I'm just, a, well, you know, people are just a little bit different. And, like, obviously you have your neighbors and, like, you know, you, your neighbors and everything. You want to look out for neighbors and things like that. But sometimes I just look at things. I'm like, yo, this really isn't none of my business. And if it ain't got nothing to do with me, it's like, okay, well, I... Yeah, I I would turn the other way or I would call the cops. And, I, and I'm thinking about this as myself because um, I'm actually like um, I actually um, I have I'm a gun owner. So like I mm. own a gun. So when y'all was talking about the situation, I'm thinking I'm like, so I wake up random, you know, three o'clock in the morning. I see some suspicious stuff and I'm like, there's no way I'm stepping outside of my house and confronting a bunch of people in the middle of the dark at three. If anything, I will call the police and I don't even like the police and I don't fuck mm-hmm. with the police. Mm-hmm. But I would not, I could let that go in my, like, disdain for the police to just call them, get all the information. If I got their tags and everything, I, w- I would just call the police. I Like, there's no way I think I'm going to go out there, I'm going to confront this person. And then like, when you showed that picture of him and how little he was, it's like... He was a little boy. So this dude was just pussy. Like, I'm sorry, right. but like, come on. Like, come on. So then when Robbie was trying to, def- oh, well, you know, you don't know anything. And I was like, you see how small he is like don't get me wrong i'm not saying yeah because if he had a gun or something like that
4: yes right he was a little boy there's
1: all different kinds of 13 looking to 13 year olds i mean there's them
12: big giant ones who look like they're like 16 17 was a cutie pie and a doll and didn't deserve what happened
1: to him but he was a tall boy you know Mm -hmm. this 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 child looked like he had a spongebob square pants backpack on and had that oversized sneaker look like he's not grown into his shoes. I mean, he was a ch- He was a little baby child.
12: Yes. Yes. And it was like just seeing people excuse it or the, whoa, he shouldn't. Be, like, as, like, oh, my God. And obviously it goes to, like, you know, like the studies and everything about how. And I will say it because I know you don't want to seem like you're Al Sharpton on Rising, though. But it really was the fact that he was black like let's just call it because really, no yeah. one's looking at a 13 year old white child and didn't say no
1: i'm sorry i'm
12: going to blow his fucking head they're, off i guarantee you not. that guy that guy if anything would have said hey i'm calling the police
1: right or like where's your parents Talk to him through the door and the thing is people were like well the, the guy who shot him was black too i was like so
4: so Like, who
1: cares he have people don't understand about about racial bias like all of these mm-hmm. racial bias studies they judge how much value there is on black life Yep. not on the bi- like whether because you're black you have bias no yes it's everybody everybody diminishes the value of black life including tragically
12: black, black people. black people absolutely there's studies on this and then um i remember uh who's the little uh the the older uh lady i think she's like jewish and she used to do all the things where she like brought like white people in the room and made them feel guilty oh yeah old girl what's yeah her name? jane her but, but it was yeah. even like yeah it was like her studies or like the 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 the, the the, uh, the black doll study where like mm-hmm. um, you go to like a, like a darker skinned doll and then a whiter skinned doll. And then you just ask kids, which kid is the bad child? Mm-hmm. Everyone, including even black children, said mm-hmm. the darker-skinned baby was the worse person. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, I mean, obviously you can't go and, do, and uh, go through, have those kind of conversations with, ser- I think, certain people who don't really, who only understanding of racism if it's just blatant in their face and if you're saying the N-word. And even then, they're still mm-hmm. trying to make excuses for the bullshit. So, but yeah, that was kind of, like, really, really triggering. And I'm like, I remember being a kid, and particularly because I was, I grew up in the city and then I moved to the county and then like my mom, she had, um, she got, she had a house built in a neighborhood where houses was built. And then it kind of reminded me of, um, what happened with, um, what's, um, he was recently, he was like, um, in a house, like an abandoned, you know, like a house that was being yeah The guy was
1: running and then the guy's in the pickup truck ran him down and shot him.
12: Yeah. And then see, when you see people like justify things like that, I was like, I remember being a kid going all through these houses that of were course. being built. Imagine if one of these people would have just saw me like and just called the police because they thought I was stealing from in, in a house that's being built that has nothing in it. Right. Think about that. Like, like that's crazy, right? Yep. You're stealing I, I, something from a house yep. that has nothing in it.
1: I remember being told as a kid when we were living in North Carolina in like a new development. There were a lot of news. Houses coming up all the time, you know, like these little suburban prefab things that were coming up all over the place in the '90s. And I remember being told things like, "You can't do what other kids do." You, we weren't allowed off the yep. end of the cul-de-sac. Like, mm-hmm. you know, don't give anybody an excuse. And we yep. were such good kids; like, it never came up. But I do remember all the other white kids on the street will be wondering There was like at the end of the hill, at the end of the street, they were that's where they were building the last of the houses on the like cul-de-sac, and there was a hill that you could go over and on the other side of the hill. There was like a highway and a circle K. And I remember going over the hill, you were no longer in the view of your, your parents and your parents' houses. And people like to just sit on the other side of the hill and be over near the highway. Mm-hmm. And I remember being very anxious about this. Cause I was like, whatever happens over here, I can get blamed for something. But that paranoia, I think is, is it's tragic that you have to install, instill that in kids. But it's true. Cause I remember this one time, my brother, we were like the best kids in the world. We never got into, into any trouble. You know, me, I'm still square as hell. I've never even smoked pot. Yeah. Well, one day my brother and his little friend Brian, they were probably like ten years old, they were over by there was like a community pool little community center sports park area thing that was also being built. And apparently they were walking around there and some other people had like drunk beer beer bottles and left them under like this deck, this under deck area. And so they had gotten into their minds that they were gonna break, they were just gonna like, you know, See what happens if they broke the bottle. Like, oh, we're going to be subversive and break this bottle. Mm
4: -hmm. So they
1: broke a couple of bottles and went home. And nobody would have known about it except for Brian has a big mouth and told his parents. Mm -hmm. And then the boys got in trouble. And I was thinking about how that's probably the the one most outrageous thing my brother has done in his entire life. And what if someone had come along and seen these two little 10-year-old black boys in a predominantly white neighborhood breaking beer bottles under the deck? What would that have looked like, and how would people be talking about well he shouldn't have had a shouldn't beer broke, bottle
12: <laughs> exactly he shouldn't have broke beer bottles why, why is that such a thing and it's like and it's like sometimes and like obviously like you know with like the studies and everything about how like the perception of black children is they're a lot older and more mature than what they actually are, so it's like you're not even and especially was in those conversations. It's like, you're not even considering the fact that he's 13. He's 13. He's 13. Of course he doesn't know no better. And okay. it, it, it just, it just, ew, gosh, it was just that that Yeah. I was like, I, I made sure I stayed out of the comments cause I knew I was going to get like furious and everything. But, yeah. um, I, I did want to uh, talk to you about um, 2024. Uh, I saw a comment today that kind of made me, like, um, think about things. Well, I mean, we've had, uh, you've had the conversation about, like, what is next after Joe Biden? And I, with, um, what's happening with um, Merrick, I guess Merrick Gardner is actually, like, investigating the other documents that were in Biden. And mm-hmm. I saw a tweet today was like, uh, yeah, I think this is them trying to, like, edge Biden out of here. Yeah,
1: I, I do that too. I thought that was way. interesting.
12: Yeah, but I was like, um... I don't necessarily believe that because he has the best shot. I think is, is, is at least as far as any Democrats though. But mm-hmm. let's just say this is true. Let's just say Republicans are able to end this next thing with Hunter Biden. Dig up something that could potentially hurt Biden, and he goes, "You know what? I'm just going to bail out and I'm just going to get out of here gracefully." There, and uh, this is also highlighted to I guess to um, my boy Mayo Pete. Um, like um, he's obviously the Democrats are like gearing towards him though, but. Outside of, like, the liberal kind of, like, spaces and everything like that, you can't excuse his incompetency. So how is he, re- like, do you think, like, his um his record, especially as far as everything with, the, like, the transportation department and everything like that, is that going to affect him? But then also, what's going to happen with the infighting with the k Sands? Because no matter what, obviously, I think most Democrats understand Kamala Harris is just awful and she can't run because she's not going to win. So there's going to be a strategic, they're they're going to move to try to elevate Mayo Pete, but in that you're, you're, you are usurping the the vice president and that's going to, that's going to cause a riff. That's going to cause a riff. Um, I don't know how big of a riff, but I think it's going to cause a riff. I don't know, man. Sometimes I feel like Kamala (laughs)
1: doesn't really want it.
12: Like, (laughs) you think she would bow out gracefully because she probably will look and be like, "Eh, yeah, nah, I'm probably not going to win this. And this would probably be another embarrassing thing.
1: If I were Kamala, I'd be trying to get a cooking show. <laughs> I'd be like, life's too short. I, I have my late in life marriage. She seems very in love with her husband. She doesn't have no kids to worry about. She could have herself a nice a little, she's, she seems to be a very talented Getting chef. all her
12: Michelle Obama stuff, kind of like, yeah, let me go try to milk this pot this gravy pot that she needs to, to
1: get herself a cooking show and a little like daily show set up like uh old girl mm-hmm. kelly clarkson has
4: mm-hmm. drew barrymore get
1: herself just cooking with kamala <coughs> <laughs> and she can Thanks. have politicians come through and ask them about a little congressional something something every now and then oh
12: my god you
4: but need to be that's what, like
1: that's what i see for her that's my dream for her looking out <laughs> for her and her happiness <laughs> Like, quite honestly. Like, I think the people who love her should really lean in in that direction.
12: You don't think she's ambitious like uh, Hillary to, like, really try to go get the power? For what purpose? I mean, she's not <laughs> like, going to win. That's the thing. It's going to yeah, be but, like, what are Kamala's
1: goals like what is hillary, like i i feel like I, hillary has a vision for how the world should be she believes she can run the yep. world better than other people Absolutely. and she wanted to be in that top spot kamala doesn't seem to me like she has a full grasp of a lot of what she wants what does she want out of a blazer how does she really <laughs> want it to fit that she wanted to hide her curves or that she wanted to <laughs> accentuate them she can't seem to decide and so she keeps picking these less than ideal fits.
12: God damn, this is Despite
1: a being a beautiful woman, you know, like I don't understand it. <laughs> She's
12: gotta this is figure a herself out. <laughs> the sad part is I can't even disagree because it's 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 a lot of nothing. It's it's literally nothing. It's emptiness. So it's like imagine another campaign with her where she has to not get Five percent of the black vote, which she should be getting, even while the mainstream media are going to say this is the everyone that black people are going to vote for. And then she has to go against the, um, you know, Mayo Pete, who is, you know, the um, the the rising star who fits all the the, the criteria with um, libs want. So it's like you're going to do that, and then the Dems don't even have like a deep bench. It's like, what are you going to do? You're going to run Amy Klobuchar again? Um, no,
1: I mean they could. <laughs> If I were Dems, if I were Dems, I would just lean on Katie Porter, get her to sell out and run her. All they need to do is tweak Katie Porter a little bit to make her completely establishment safe, and Katie Porter would probably happily bend the knee. But, she probably but to would
0: me. too. Yeah.
1: Uh, look, I, I think, I think that they're gonna run Biden. I don't think Biden's going anywhere.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I don't think that this um, document oh. shit is anything at all.
12: I don't I, think it is either.
1: I think that nobody cares. I I think that nobody cared about it when it was Trump. And at least Trump's had some flair. At least Trump was, like, not trying to give him back. And there was a (laughs) raid. And there was some love letter to Kim Jong-un. Like, there was some sexy, cool stuff.
12: (laughs) Yeah, I don't think there's nothing. And
1: Biden's is, like, such a snooze fest.
4: Mm -hmm. And
1: Republicans spent so much time saying it didn't matter with Trump that they can't really, in good conscience, say it matters now with Biden. The same way that, you know, Democrats have the opposite problem. Now that it's Biden, they can't Harp on it with Trump,
12: mm-hmm. and it's all
1: a wash. Everyone's a loser. Let's move on.
12: Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I, I I probably would agree. Like I still think because I think Biden is the best hope, especially like um looking at like I guess the Republican bench because it seems like they can run all stars, but they can't run them in this next election because they're trying to really crown Ron DeSantis. And I actually kind of agree with you. I think they're putting too much eggs. Ex- this is look. They're setting Ron DeSantis to be Jeb Bush in my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. It's looking like you're you're and what is he going to run on? He can only run on his wokeness and his idea of the anti-wokeness. And mind you, the whole Republican Party is anti-woke. So all the dudes like a Tim Scott and everyone, all they're going to be talking about is getting rid of wokeness. That's literally going to be the debate. The base stage is going to be that. So how is he going to deciphering himself from the rest of the pack and like i said you've never seen him on a national stage like yeah republicans know who he is and the people of florida absolutely know who he is and everything like that but like when he gets on the national stage and he got to start to come uh you know start to um appeal to like independence and things like that it's going to be like okay are you going to really w- all he going to have really is the wokeness and then also can he survive trump's beratement of what he's going to want to do
1: let me tell you i if I don't understand how anybody could have listened to Trump for the last 60 years he's been on the public stage and not know that this is a man with the gift of gab.
4: This yep. is
1: a, a, a hilarious, frankly, very talented pers- persona that mm-hmm. has been kind of like on the back foot and hiding out and under investigation for some time. But like toe to toe, Ron DeSantis is a boring, nerdy, awkward guy, mm. and Trump is gonna stand next to him on the stage. You know I love his short king, so I'm not saying this for these reasons. But like, <laughs> he's gonna sit there. He's gonna call him little, little, little Ron,
12: little Ron, or, yeah, or something. Uh, uh disingenuous.
1: Disancti- like Ron one of these is gonna stick.
12: <laughs>
4: and ron is
1: not going to be able to know what to do with himself look look i think that that trump is not on his a-game anymore he is not as savvy about what is actually going on and he could get caught flat-footed being completely out of his depth these days and i think that's probably likely to happen but i just don't think that Ron DeSantis is, is going to be as galvanizing as folks assume he's going to be i mean i'm looking right now this woke stuff look what happened in midterms people like to talk about it and tweet about it but it doesn't seem like they're really voting on it jim jordan just tweeted i just retweeted this because i was like (laughs) fucking laughing this is hysterical god guns gas stoves
12: my god now this is comedy this is
1: i'm i'm crying what do the kids say gagging crying throwing up
12: (laughs) Like they literally give this stuff to the Democrat because they are absolutely. Th- there's nothing there. There's nothing there outside of, outside of uh, identity politics and everything. Come on, Ga- Are y'all really about to fight over gas stoves? This Yo, is like the Obama tan suit thing.
1: Like, I saw. On. I saw a "Don't Tread on Me" flag, but instead of Jesus. a snake, oh it
12: God. was a gas oh, stove. No, no, stop, stop. No, it didn't. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. No. You didn't. no. <laughs> That, that is not real you are lying dude. you did not see a don't tread on my gas stove flag you did not you didn't you didn't you lying you're just lying right now this shit is too funny <laughs> like, it's straight comedy like,
1: come I'm, like on, I'm honestly man. enjoying it it's so ridiculous <laughs> Come,
12: don't tread on my gas. come on no I refuse to no that did not happen that, did, no, that just didn't it didn't happen it didn't happen oh my god it's too much don't try oh my goodness (laughs) this is why i'm saying
1: like they can run a whole campaign they can run a whole like news cycle for a week over a gas stove and we can't get people mad at comcast or like pfizer
12: right comcast has to go this has to end this is ridiculous
1: let me tell you i'll be in the streets for comcast
12: i'll throw a rock through a window for comcast (laughs) comcast is literally the enemy of the goddamn people there's no reason why their fucking bills are 250 to 300 fucking dollars for their fucking packages there's just no reason for it outside Mm -hmm. of them just being greedy come on now yeah 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 lord um Help us! We have nothing. We literally have nothing to hope for. We just I don't. have
1: to get. Wait a minute. Let me see if I can find that fly because I'm gonna have to get me a t-shirt or something because that's <laughs>
4: this is one of the most. Yeah. This is straight Yo, so up comedic mean, things I've you, ever you seen. Really. I,
12: like I said, I'm still refusing to believe that that was real. <laughs> that, that that they really. And you know, there's some dipshit that's probably selling that for ten fucking dollars, <laughs> and he is making probably thousands of dollars off of this bullshit. I see it. I see it all the time when I'm like out delivering and stuff like that. You see some of these flags so I know. Like I mean the the blue uh the blue line flag is literally all over the goddamn place. So, mm-hmm. this, it, Oh Jesus. Oh, that that really is going to be the next thing. Stay away from my gas stove. <laughs> um,
1: do you use a gas stove?
12: Yes, I do. Um I um I personally prefer the gas stove because I cook, so like Me
1: too. They're they're yeah. clearly better for cooking. But yeah you know. and
12: I yeah I'm kind of like getting more into like cooking and things like that so like I do use the gas stove but I'm not married to the idea of of keeping a gas stove for the, so so people just don't tread on me so the government can you know keep their filthy hands off my gas stove like, that's not <laughs> it's that's just such a weird thing to politicize. yeah yeah I'm just not gonna die on that hill like and it's not that and it's like yeah I I definitely prefer a gas stove like the gas stove works and everything though but yeah if I'm in a small apartment and I'm worried about the health of my kid I'm just not gonna I'm just not married to that
1: yeah I will say like I was very pro gas I mean like. I... Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, you
12: cut
1: out. Oh, can you yeah. not hear me anymore? Yep,
12: you're good now. You're good. I've heard yeah, stories
1: about the health benefits of having an induction top or whatever, but every apartment I've lived in has had a gas stove, into the one I live in mm-hmm. now. And I will say, despite like my ovens not being as good as they used to be, and it taking too long to heat up, in my opinion. It's entirely mm-hmm. worth it for the cleanup because I am a dirty, filthy, horrible housekeeper and I am not getting down in there between them tines and cleaning Whip. that stove out.
4: So they,
1: having a flat surface that I can just wipe down with a washcloth, like with, with a dish rag, Mm-hmm. it's life-changing. My kitchen has never been cleaner.
12: Absolutely. Like uh, my mom has a gas stove and I come over and cook and stuff like that. When I tell you, she she's one of them like old school moms who still have like the can of grease that sits on top of the gross stove. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many times that thing has fallen on clips. And the cleanup is just, oh, my goodness. Oh, (laughs) my goodness. It it is literally the worst. And then you don't even want to start it because then you don't want to start a a flipping grease fire. So then you really got to go in there. So, yeah, the cleanup is really, 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 really bad. So, like I said, I'm just not, I, I guess I'm just not married to that idea, even though electric stoves really do suck. They take forever to heat up. They do.
1: They take forever. And I will say, like, I grew up... What's so funny is, like, I, I'm very into the pro-gas argument. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Kenya where the power would go out regularly, like, all the time. I remember one Thanksgiving, my dad had to cook, like, the whole dinner on our... We had a we had a separate propane-powered um, stovetop because the lighter on the stove was electric, I think. So when the power went out, we couldn't use,
4: like, mm-hmm. you could use
1: the stovetop, and not the oven, or vice versa. I forget. So we had to cook the whole thing on this, like, portable propane powered gas top thing Mm
4: -hmm. and
1: we always like we're always using it like we it was it was nice to have something that wasn't um electricity reliant and i think that people's arguments about all of that stuff are perfectly legitimate however the point is nobody's actually biden is not backing this policy nobody's taking anybody's stove and to the extent that the policy did go into effect it would be about new stoves being sold not the stove you already have so everyone just needs to take a seat
12: Yeah, Republicans love, they love a a culture war thing. They just love, like, nitpicking little things. And that's just, they they literally, that's what they make their bread and butter off of. Like, remember when, um, I'm sorry, I don't mean to go too long, but remember when Michelle Obama was, like, in office and she had, like, the campaign to eat healthier and Mm -hmm. they were married to the idea of, how dare she tell me I can't have uh, a 32-ounce gulp of 7up uh, she's terrible and then like I think was it Michelle Bachman who like was like running kid who, like you deserve to drink the amount of soda you want I'm like are y'all really just married to this crap like come on what was yep. so wrong about the idea that you should have kids should have vegetables
1: meanwhile not a single democrat are running an ad that's like you deserve to be able to get care if you're dying yep
12: <laughs> yeah yeah we suck yeah. <sighs> alright thanks Chris <laughs> no problem appreciate you Brie Keep the, faith. keep the
1: faith darlene one of the things that i'm really loving about you is that my the most famous darlene in my head is old girl from roxanne and your cute little dog's curly black hair is giving me darlene vibes and i'm feeling like is this an accident <laughs> <laughs> well his name is miko <laughs> oh miko he's such a cutie
13: pie and he's the one that I sit and talk to about politics because none of my friends want to hear about any of this stuff. <laughs> they could care less. They Actually, they'll ask me around voting time, like, who should I vote for or whatever? Because they know I watch all this stuff and get my blood
1: pressure up.
13: <laughs> where other people, like, you know, could care less about all this because they know everybody's full of shit. And,
1: yeah. Is that Nick up barking in the background? Barking in
13: the, he, in the background? Yeah, that's probably him, too, because I, I talked to him about it. Because I literally <laughs> as I said I got a call tonight and actually talked to people who pay attention to
1: this stuff because I have no one else to talk to about oh, it. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, get on him for being such a good listener, but I'm happy to take over his shift right now. What's on your mind, Arlene? <laughs> well, first, I got to say I heard the – when I uh, joined and heard the uh,
13: – a call from AOC and yeah, that really started to irk me. It's like, it's re it's just ridiculous the things that come out of her mouth and forget where you know that there's video of you running and we can see what you used to say. Uh-huh. Like your whole thing has changed. Then I watch the airlines and I'm getting more I got pissed off about <laughs> them too, about how they're just, you know, raking, you know, taking in money and they're doing nothing about it, the government. It's really ridiculous. I, I mean I wish it affected all of them. So maybe they would do something about it. But the yeah. one thing I got to uh, give you praise about was I, a lot of times I catch your show after I don't catch it live, mm-hmm. but I heard your monologue last week about Forced to Vote. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you guys should do a Forced to Vote party. And all the people who were, who were part of it, I guess, AK minus Crystal, because she I couldn't even believe she couldn't even say the word out her mouth. Watched the boat like you were at the you were at the thing and now two year, a year and a half later whatever it is and now you're talking about it and you couldn't even say the words you know i don't know if you've seen the <laughs> the video with jimmy but he gave it to her
1: and it's, yeah, it's a little bit of jimmy's coverage of it is it i mean have they i but i haven't like seen the primary like i haven't like watched what coverage crystal Sagar and maybe kyle and crystal have done of it have they really not Talked about they were they played such a central role in it all and Kyle frankly being one of the, um, Justice Democrats founders kind of giving the insight into what the whole purpose of electing these people were and what they knew the purpose was and giving all that insight was really helpful in mounting the criticisms we had at the time so is it is it true that is, is that a legitimate critique that they haven't. So you oh yeah, want to really talk about it that much? She, she
13: talked about it, but would not say the words "force the vote." Wouldn't say that there was this thing like, oh, there was this thing last year, like she wasn't part of it. And and if you when I, I went over there because I stopped, I unsubscribed from them a while ago. And I went and read the comments because I heard Jimmy talk about it. And it was, it was nothing but people ragging her. Like, you can't say the word forced to vote. Your, your cat, your tongue got your cat. Or You know, mm-hmm. it was just, they were going off on her. Like, how could you, you were there at it. But, yeah, she didn't say nothing about it. But one thing I think you guys should do, because, like, maybe all you guys who were part of force the Vote and come up with a list of things that candidates should run on. And, you know what? I thought about maybe, like, you know, you, Jimmy, RBN, Katie, you know, Heartlands Media, everybody who's, who's who was down for force the Vote. Why don't you just get it? And if people want the support of the people, they got to run on these things. And, you know, and... That, or, I mean, I don't know how much support they're getting, but there's a lot of us on all of your shows who all believe in it. And I think if they were gonna run, they have to, you know, they would have to sign some type of pledge that this is what they're gonna run on. That they, you know, and that they would have to come on independent media. Because I think it's disgusting that all these people were on your shows all everybody's show before they got elected. And now Rokon's the only one who will come on. And the disdain they got for Jimmy, like AOC, you wouldn't have a, you wouldn't have been there without that guy. He's the one
1: who pushed you. And, and Glenn, too. I, re- mm-hmm. I remember when AOC came to the office to do that interview with Glenn. Like, and I remember all of that so vividly. We were all right there the whole time. Wow. Yeah. And to see the way
13: that they turned and they don't go on anything. And it's just really ridiculous. And I think if there was people who wanted to run, they could run. They have to run underneath this platform. Whether they're Republican, Democrat, Independent, this is what you're running on. And, you, you, you know, if and if they come on to all your guys' shows, and the, your audience would support them. I know I would, you know, if, if these were really running on it and then we had a way to hold them accountable. Because if you don't, if you go in there and you act a fool and you don't want to do it, then... I don't, you know, all your support will stop. And I don't understand why all these progressives, they're grassroots. So yeah. if you're turning off half of your donor base, what makes you think you're going to get money in the next election? People aren't going to go out there and stump for you. That's why Nina Turner had a hard time, because people are tired. Yeah, I've been I watching.
1: Think... I feel like some people's eyes are opening. I've been watching. s has been, Nina Turner has been doing some, you know, increasingly – Edgy tweeting, you know, I know people are tired of the tweets, but for what it's worth, you know, people seem, I think there, are and I see it in comments too, a lot of people seem to be coming around to realizing that we were right, maybe too late, but they're realizing, I saw Amani Oakley, she was a progressive candidate uh, in New Jersey, tweeting like some very harshly critical stuff of Biden and of uh, people who were so dismissive of the force to vote folks, and I'm not sure exactly what she was saying at the time, I, I did go to an event with her and Nina Turner and um, old girl, we had her on. I'm blocking her name. Uh, Afini worked for her. Michaela Wilkes and another candidate. And I liked her. I I thought she was, she's very smart and high good politics. But, you know, the issue with all of these people is what are they going to do when the chips fall down? And her reaction to this fourth of vote redoxes has made me feel like very positively about her. And I wonder if she'll come on the show and talk about, you know, whether or not, This has changed her approach to politics. But yeah, I think a Force the Vote party would be a lot of fun. It feels a little late, maybe. I don't know if we've kind of overstayed our welcome doing our victory lap, but it would be worth to get everyone together. And I would like to talk to Crystal and Kyle both. It's been a while since Kyle's been on the show. Kyle hasn't been on the show since Force the Vote.
13: Wow. I mean, maybe they have an excuse for it. I don't know. But it seems their whole entire what they talk about. I mean, if you're a leftist, you shouldn't be for war. You shouldn't be for breaking a strike. There's certain things left people don't do. And these people are for it. So I don't understand. Like, people aren't, you know, they can see, especially when you got someone like Shama Sawant who's breaking it down. And, you know, she's, I, I wish she would run for president. I swear there would be, you know, I mean, it's, it's hard because her name's not out there. Even Marianne Williamson. I like her as a spiritual person. I used to follow her before that, mm-hmm. but her running on the way she's running, I wouldn't want to go out there and, and, and help her, you know, for what you, I feel like all of them, you're taking money from poor people you know, and, and you're sitting there and you're asking them for money. And then when you, you know, I don't know what she thinks by running through the Democratic Party. She's seen how they did her last time. They She got to what, two debates? You think they could cut the whole debates? I don't understand why they think that they can beat them. You can't. You you, you can't beat these people. You could run as an independent and do something else. I think that would really shake it up because if you could get, uh, all YouTube and everybody behind you is independent, and get your name out there. You could bypass the Democratic um, primary because, at least on the Republican side, they couldn't stop Trump because there's no super delegates. But on the on the on the um, Democrat, you're never gonna win. So why why are they trying to do something they can't win? It's been proven. Bernie did it twice. That's yeah. why I got mad at Bernie. You took money from poor people, knowing damn well you were going to concede, and that's that's not nice.
1: Yeah, I I look the the last time I was kind of in the space to talk to some of these candidates and people. My impression was that they're not they were not really there. That they felt like they could do another Bernie style run, and that doing it outside of the party was too, um, it was so unlikely to win that it was basically, you know, they don't don't want to run a symbolic campaign. They wanted to run campaigns that had a real possibility of winning, given how much time it was going to take out of their life and money and all of that stuff. And as a consequence of wanting it to be quote-unquote real, they just didn't see a path outside the Democratic Party. It's never been done, obviously, all of that stuff. And my arguments that, Even if they'll let you get sort of closer than we thought, it probably isn't going to work all the way. Because if they can derail Bernie, they certainly can derail you.
4: Mm -hmm. My arguments
1: about how no one's really gone all in and investing with the people and see how far, like, your public support can carry you. I mean, Trump did. Mm -hmm. And it worked. You know, Trump had the media against him. He had the party against him. But the people were with him. And at a certain point, nobody could argue with it. And it's not going to be exactly the same because Trump didn't stand against all of those entrenched interests the way that someone on the left would. You know, my radar today centered a clip from a JP Morgan healthcare analyst of some kind who was talking about how the markets would be concerned if there were a progressive challenger to Biden because we know with Biden that we're good. We know with Biden that we're sad. We know with Biden that, you know, there's nothing bad that's going to happen to the insurance industry's profit line. And, you know, so... I, I, I don't know. That's that's all to say that I would like to see them come around to where we are, and maybe this enforcement vote moment will be helpful in that. But as of last time I, I was chatting with folks, they seemed to believe that the best chance was just to do another kind of Bernie approach. Well, I guess
13: they'll see how far they're going to get. You You definitely lost half the left. Yeah. So I don't know how far they think they're going to get, but – yeah, it, it definitely won't be me, but I, I think a, a force of party you could do another lap. Why not? You guys were right, and you have all you have all these uh, all these different channels who all with you guys. So I think it, you could do one, and you could shout everybody out and tell them they were wrong, since they can't say they were wrong, Sam Cena. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, boy, look, I'm just glad we have a record of stuff. I'm glad. I remember being so ex- so exhausted around Force the Vote. I mean, I only had one show compared to three that I have now. So i had a lot more spare time. But I was doing everybody's shows. I was doing so many hits. We were doing live streams. That's what we should do. I need to do more live streams. Maybe we should do a Force the Vote live.
13: Yeah. it would. I think it would be a lot of fun with all you guys. At least it's one topic. You're all in agreement when it maybe. All of you together can come up with some of the ideas. You just never know.
1: Yeah, that could be that could be interesting. And I know that certain people uh, who have already been debated and lost keep clamoring for another debate, another bite of the apple. Um, I don't really want to give them any energy, but if they want to call into a live stream or something like that, they are more than happy to, to I mean, maybe that can be how they can calm themselves and get whatever resolution they're seeking. Uh, in well, there'll be. To- let me let me reach out. I'll talk to Katie about it. See if we can put something together.
13: There'll be a lot of use to answer. They better, the wrong Sam better not call into the show because there's a lot <laughs> more use <yous> than him.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I think Sam's done. Sam won't even. He won't even say my name. So I don't think that he has. Uh I don't think he has any appetite for continuing our conversation. To be honest, like we had a good conversation. It ended on a positive note. It could have been the end of everything and resolved the gap, the, the tensions between the two parts of the left. But he had to pop off on the Twitter the next day. So here we are, two years later.
13: And he was, he was mad because he just got ratioed. You, you didn't, you, you were very polite to him. You and, and Sabrina are very polite to these people, which way I would not be. That's why I say you're the great interviewers because you don't really lose your cool really that often. Which yeah, is- Sabby's great.
1: The bad faith, not bad faith. Um, The rising audience really loves Sabby, and they can be kind of persnickety. So yeah, she's got a great approach.
13: Mhm. I think you you and her both got kind of the same temperament. We know how to talk to talk to people and and get the best out of them. Where you and it's sad because just because you're being nice doesn't mean you win the fight. Like when you said with Batia and I. I mean I like the segment when you and her. It's okay normally. Her mm-hmm. her, her takes her. I don't know who's more cringy, her or Robbie, where there's takes sometimes. I'm like, really? but the one with you and her wasn't too bad. I think it's better when maybe she's dealing with you as a leftist than her and Robbie. I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoyed, you know, we all have our thoughts and feelings about where exactly she falls politically, but I enjoyed co-hosting with her. I mean, we have, there's enough difference between us, certainly, that it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like we're coming from the same place on this issue on these issues so it still feels like good ideologically diver- ideological diversity in the segment and it, it, the pacing with her is interesting having a different co-host she asks a lot of questions and opens up the space in the conversation to kind of figure things out without having to immediately deliver an opinion and it makes for an interesting um, different kind of conversation that can get to a certain depth that i enjoyed so like, i enjoyed her as a co-host yeah, it worked
13: out pretty good. I mean, I, normally I don't I don't care for her take too well, but I enjoy you and her together, so I, I would say it was a good it was a good show with the two ears.
4: Well
1: look, thank you, Darlene. I'm glad I uh, cut to you and brought you to the front of the line because I have a pathological obsession with fluffy doggos. Oh, well Miko <laughs> says thank you and have a good night. <laughs> have a good night, darlene. Keep bye. the beat. Bye bye. Mark, how are you doing, Mark?
11: uh i'm doing good how about yourself
1: i'm doing all right
11: what's on good your I, evening? I, I many many things but i'm going to try to speak as quickly as possible out of solidarity with all of those who like myself suffer in your queue
1: <laughs> what a mensch thank you i'm sure we'll appreciate it
11: now the Last time I was on, I talked about the ancient Greeks and the Western way of war. And I made a mistake. I said uh, in their right hand, they held a, s- a spear. And then I said in their right with their right arm, they held a shield. Of course, it's with their left arm. But two people mentioned this in the chat. And so I wanted to shout out to Dolgan Andrew and Mastermind Hour, because I'm always astonished to discover that anyone is listening to me at all. <laughs> now, you shouldn't be
1: surprised, Mark. I remember your call, and you're a compelling speaker, and you had a lot of interesting things to say. So,
11: Okay, well, I have some observations about bad faith. Please. Um, Alf Nader's show. Uh, I, he's so straightforward. He's so uh, knowledgeable. He's so energetic. I hope you you uh, have him on regularly. Um, and I guess now you have a question to ask him based on today's show, if he really did, was really in favor of deregulating the airline industry. But two mm-hmm. things he said on that show surprised me.
4: Mm-hmm.
11: One was the Van Gogh soup incident, which he mm-hmm. dismissed as boomerang mm-hmm. tactics. Mm-hmm. And uh, you had a good conversation with uh, Professor Morton about that.
4: Mm-hmm.
11: So, I mean, my initial reaction was, "Well, Ralph, it did make the front page with their cause, mm-hmm. and it's been a while since I've seen Ralph Nader on the front page." Mm-hmm. The second thing that surprised me is he sounded a little bit like Dr. Pangloss when he said that if give him a 1,000 full-time organizers and we'd have Medicare for All within 18 months or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is something that the uh, medical industry, insurance companies, Big farm has fought against for generations. Mm-hmm. And maybe if the 1,000 organizers could get a lot of people in the street. I think back to the concessions we got from Richard Nixon, uh, who signed the Environmental Protection Agency uh, into law, who uh, signed OSHA into law.
1: Hello?
4: Mark? Hello?
1: Did we lose Mark? Mark, it looks like you're still there and you're not muted, but I heard you say sign OSHA into law, and then uh, they got you. You're about to speak too many truths, and they they cut your line. It's it's like quiet, quiet, like it's cut, like not like you're just muffled or something. It's gonna give it just a second. I hope he's not still going i hate when i end up saying a lot of stuff and no one can hear me and i'm like really riffing and then i gotta say it again okay we'll we'll move on and we'll come back to mark mark if you can hear me just get back in the queue and i'll pull you up after lysol okay remember what you were saying um it was just getting good all right lysol what's in your mind today
5: hey brie how you doing
1: i'm doing well thanks
5: so are you a hedwig fan a
1: hedwig fan
5: the, the show Hedwig and the Angry Inch?
1: Oh. Um, I've never seen it.
5: Okay, so um the idea I have kind of springs from that a little bit. Basically it's she's a a, a she's a, a rock genius and she dates a guy and the guy runs off with her songs and becomes famous and like he's playing stadiums and she plays like sizzlers nearby. And that's like the conceit of the of the show. And okay. my idea is just kind of like I don't know, like, Ralph Nader, but if he was live stream, Like, could you imagine if there was somebody who was savvy at live-streaming and, like, t- does the 2000 Ralph Nader thing of it? But I have a ticket. I'm just here to see the see the debate. You're not going to let me into the debate with the ticket?
1: Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is... I know I'm sorry to the earlier guest who was so angry that I keep bringing up Andrew Yang, but the reason I do is because he has a certain, like, public purchase. Like, there's a certain awareness of him in the public eye that a lot of other people don't have, and... has some legitimacy with people because he's perceived as like a finance guy who knows about numbers not some like crazy hippy dippy green party fella so the idea that like the the forward party could be putting on events like that and really showcase all of the alternative candidates in one package form with some like money and production behind it i think would be incredibly valuable and cool and and kind of take some of the weight off of all of these small grassroots green independent organizations who are trying to clamber and put all this stuff together, but it doesn't seem again like that's the goal. That's the vibe.
5: I mean, if it's somebody who already has a following and isn't in the and isn't in the position where they have to like you know gain awareness in order to like gain a chance in in the race, what do you think the the chances are of like basically it's a live stream where like. The moderator asked Joe Biden and whoever's on the stage a question, the guy's live streaming pauses, gives a better answer and then continues.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's I mean, I think you should probably just delay the whole thing because you'll be talking over the next question, right? You should probably well, do I mean, it like a State of the Union response, like right after.
5: Yeah, I mean, or if they're just, you know, if he has the power to pause the thing that he's recording and then just like, you know, skip over the joke. But you're probably right. It's probably better um, canned and done the next day
1: but yeah no i there has there has to be there has to be a way
5: um but wouldn't it even be to hard screen treating them to make them look like they're on the stage doing it
1: yeah i mean i i mean i think the point is that you need to, regardless of what the production particulars are of it you need to figure out a way to get regular people to want to watch it Because you know the mainstream cable channels are going to show the main debate, and everyone can very easily ignore whatever sideshow is happening, unless you can make it a stunt. Which is which is why I was so surprised to hear Nader um, be so dismissive of the soup thing. Because when he was on the podcast the first time, I remember him talking about dressing up as a waiter to infiltrate an event and doing all kinds of stunts, and saying that the squad needed to do more stunts to get attention, to get press. And I don't know how you can deny – I mean, like, I can I – can. i I'm, I'm open to all kind of critiques of the soup thing. It should have been more targeted. There should have been a clearer message. You know, they should have foregrounded more why they wanted to do it at this museum and who pays the museum and stuff like that. But you can't deny that it did what it was supposed to do in terms of capturing attention.
5: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what's so frustrating about AOC is, like, her holding court on Instagram Live is kind of the next thing. I was, playing, I was playing around with uh, writing the Nancy Pelosi scene. I wrote a couple a couple different versions. But in each one of them, for, for some reason, I thought that conversation happened, like, behind closed doors. So I wrote, wrote it kind of as, like, AOC gets called to Nancy Pelosi's office. And they both hop on, like, treadmills in front of a green screen. And then she presses, like, a West Wing button. And they're just, like, walking on the treadmill. And the background just moves. <laughs> and, but, like, it kind of came down to, like, she's like, well, why would I betray my my followers, and Nancy's, you know, I forget specifically how I phrase it. It's like, but no, what you're doing is genius. You're doing the exact same thing I'm doing, but you're not taking money from corporations. So you have this kind of like cover that you can hide behind. Like basically the idea that like AOC got in and from the beginning has been, you know, planning on doing what she's currently doing. And you were around in the early days. And I wanted to see what your thoughts are in terms of like, what percent of a chance would you get that?
1: That she's no, been, you know... I, don't, I don't think AOC. I don't think AOC is stupid. I don't think that Nancy is like, no, really, you're. We're working together. This is a team effort. Like this is for the long. I don't think that AOC buys any of that. I think that she knows what's happening. She was crying, you know. She wasn't convinced. She was, um, forced. You know, <laughs> something was forced onto her. She wasn't. She wasn't like. She didn't like come around on her own free will. Obviously, there was some arm twisting. That's why you cry you did something you th- that you did not want to do, that you were not persuaded to do with your free will. So, like, I, I think that, and again, I did this in, I guess, my second radar last week, my Thursday radar last week. I pulled that clip of that interview that was going around from her, I think it was Tuesday, whatever the first day of uh, speaker voting was, uh, where she was talking about how, you know, sometimes arms get twisted and... You know, information is important to have before you whip votes on the floor. And, like, she was talking about McCarthy in a way that it seemed very clear that she was talking about herself and what happens to progressives. I think they're just threatened.
5: Was she and doing the different. hostage blink twice thing?
1: No, I think that, that what I criticize AOC for is succumbing to the threat. And I say that fully acknowledging that the threat is real, that it's hard to be threatened. It's hard to stand up in the face of someone as powerful as Nancy Pelosi. I think all of that is true. I don't want to undermine that to the least, in in the least. I I think that what is being asked of AOC is very difficult and something that very few politicians in the whole history of American politics have ever done. I don't want to diminish that. But, like, she said she was going to do that. And that's why we were so excited about her. I think that Nancy Pelosi says, if you do this, that or the other, you will have no committee assignments. And AOC, instead of being like, fuck that, fine. Strip my committee assignments and I'm going to go on CNN tomorrow and explain to them that you stole the committee assignments from a hardworking, progressive, young Latina because uh, I wouldn't bend the knee on money to the Iron Dome or whatever it is in any given instance. And you you stand by your decision and I'll stand by mine because I'm not getting anything done in those committees anyway. But instead, AOC seems to see real value in what's being accomplished in Congress. It's hard to argue against it because, of course, they're doing some things, and some people are being helped. And that is, of course, true. And what it is is like a fundamental value difference between what our priorities are. And AOC is sitting there in front of a bevy of constituents, and she thinks it's worth it for her to make the compromises with Nancy Pelosi and with her pre-election ideals in order to deliver in some more narrow ways for her constituents. And we want her to risk it all and burn it all down to expose the overwhelming corruption of the Democratic Party and the institution as a whole. And, and we're just have two, that's that's the gap, that's the divide. I don't think it's, like, mysterious. Oh, did we lose hip too? Why is everybody dropping off like this? And they're not getting back in the queue either. I'm not seeing. All right. Well, good news for you, Bukes. Oh, Hello? back in the queue. I'll come to you next, uh-huh. Mark. Hey, Bukes, Buk, what's on your mind?
14: Uh, I had uh, I had some things I wanted to talk about, but then that AOC clip <clears throat> uh, really, really changed my focus. <laughs> so I think, so a- AOC, she's just useless, I guess, because it seems like she's a Democrat first and a progressive second, because she's basically saying she's just not going to Fight the Democratic Party. She's going to try and get her goals done within the Democratic Party. And that's impossible. It's clearly impossible. Yeah. Like they say we can't do this because Joe Manchin, Christian Cinema. Those those they represent like 10, 15, maybe more senators. If it wasn't Joe Manchin, it would be someone else. There's no Mm -hmm. Elect a couple more Democrats and we're getting Medicare for all. So if you're not willing to withhold your vote or stand apart from the Democratic Party, you're not, you're not doing anything. You're not, you're not doing anything. There's no meaningful left legislation coming out of the Democratic Party. That is a dream. So if she thinks that's happening, she is never going to be effective because she's, the rest of the Democrats are not going to come with her. And I think that's a little bit of what the force the vote, the whole fight is about. I mm-hmm. think it's amongst the left, there are some people who they see the Democratic Party is ultimately a tool for leftist policy. And there's some people who see the Democratic Party as an obstacle. Mm-hmm. So if you see it as a tool, this idea of really withholding your vote and embarrassing the Democratic Party is counter to to your priors. It's counter to how you think you're going to effectively achieve your goals. You need to play nice with the Democratic Party. But if you recognize the Democratic Party is kind of an obstacle, embarrassing the Democratic Party is not even a consideration. That's exactly what a leftist congressperson should be doing. They shouldn't be going along with the Democratic Party. They should be saying, these are our priorities. First, I'm a Democrat second. That's such
1: a solid point. Yeah,
14: go ahead. And AOC, she's probably one of the best ones. She's probably better than 95% of Democrats. But she's still useless. And I think Marianne, if she runs as a Democrat, it will be the same thing. She's never going to be able to from within the Democratic Party, be useful. I think that's a bigger problem than her foreign policy. Honestly, her foreign policy agree. is not that bad. <laughs> I think people are blowing it out of proportion. For well,
1: me, I'm, I'm not I'm not saying that people are blowing the foreign policy out of proportion. I just think that, for me, the bigger issue with Marianne, like, you know, I, I really love her as a person, and I'm, like, rooting for her. But for me, the big issue, like, the reason why I don't think I could, you know, like, work for... Her campaign for instance Is mostly because Of that approach like I would be A constant uphill battle I experienced this with Bernie Like there was just no willingness No appetite to do the kind Of things that it became clear were Necessary to win at a certain Point it's like February And you see the writing on the wall And you see that you're Being smeared as a Putin puppet and you see what the media cycles are like. And you see Elizabeth Warren stab you in the back. And you're seeing all of this happening. And then here comes COVID. And, you know, and here come the lies. And you're, and you're like, it's now or never. And the, the campaign was never at any point willing to just go there. And I, don't, I wouldn't ever want to be in that position again because it's, it's just at this point so obvious to me that your goal, your goal should be being anti-democratic party as much as anything else. And after what they did to Nina Turner, like, that that didn't jolt everybody's reality. You know, Hakeem Jeffries... Them, there's a lot that was wrong with last week, but watching them clap for Hakeem Jeffries like a like a train steal, when this no, man has done more to hurt them than any Republican could ever dream of doing...
14: Agree completely. There's no sane reason for a leftist to support Hakeem Jeffries. It's just... It makes no sense. He... He, I think that's the problem with the Democratic Party and leftists considering themselves part of the Democratic Party because we have people as negatively as we should. Because, okay, let me, so, like, Hakeem Jeffries, he has fundamentally different views on capitalism and the nature of the economy and everything meaningful, but he probably agrees with most leftists on what I would say social issues. And I don't mean to demean social issues. I understand they're very important. But what I'm trying to say is we're used to being on a team with people who we agree on these issues, even if we really disagree with them on, I would argue, more fundamental issues. And earlier, we were talking about the really tragic issue of the 13 year old who who was killed yeah um and so i I think if we have this if we have a coalition of people who have i would say leftist politics even if they don't see it that way they're anti-corruption they're anti-capitalist even if they don't think of themselves in that way some of these people i think this example is so tragic and so horrible that even any good person almost should be able to see this as bad but they have different social values than most democrats they see things more like they're really into some of them i'm not to generalize they're really into protecting their property and and into the second amendment and they have just a very different cultural worldview but what in terms of in terms of other issues more economic issues we we agree and i think we're used to being on the same team with people who have the same social issues but economically are complete a bit uncomfortable being on the same side with the people who I think are our natural allies. Like, I don't even see why if you put a gun to my head and said, you vote for Marjorie Taylor Greene or Hakeem Jeffries, I would pick Marjorie Taylor Greene 10 times out of 10. But it's hard to see it that way, because we see things through the lens of the Democratic Party, even though we don't like the Democratic Party, and we know that they don't do anything for us. I think we're still kind of we're we're colored by the fact that there are supposed to be our allies well look and, if
1: it's marjorie taylor green or uh hakeem jeffries i gotta say i'm gonna sit that one out
14: uh, <laughs> i can't my see head.
1: myself participating in that one uh, you're
14: right you're in right, right. Direction. But I, mean, I mean the voters <laughs> of marjorie taylor green or the voters of hakeem jeffries who sure are, are net, more natural I mean, the, allies. The,
1: the problem with marjorie taylor green is that even if i were willing to hypothetically Abandon all of my social um, principles uh, and all of the communities that are historically marginalized. Even if I were willing to say, okay, fuck cultural issues, I'm just going to go with the economic issues. She's not actually true and steadfast and principled on the economic issues. So it would just be like signing everybody up for the gulag like I don't know. If, I don't know
14: if that's true, or, or maybe not her specifically, but her voters and the energy she brings. I think that they, there is some integrity to it. I think we're natural. Well, I'm not talking about her
1: voters. I'm talking about a world where I have to vote for Marjorie Taylor Green or Hakeem Jeffries.
14: Okay, fair, fair. But Hakeem Jeffries offers nothing. At least, I maybe I maybe I'm being too. Well, I wouldn't
1: vote for him either. <laughs> but I'm definitely also not
14: voting for Marjorie Taylor Green. I, I don't think I don't think she's so fake on economic policies or rather. I don't mean her specifically because I, really I think she wants to cut social security.
1: I think she wants a cut go. I, I, you know, I think she wants to gut the IRS, not because she cares about poor people, but because she doesn't want rich people to get audited. I You're think right. they have absolutely no plan to audit rich people as much as they want to bloviate about how poor people get over over audited. That's absolutely true. But they don't want to actually fix the issue. They just want to make sure that no richie will get out of it.
14: You're right. Marjorie Taylor Greene does indeed suck. But I think the people who vote for her are kind of in the same position as leftist Democrats where they don't have anybody good to vote for. So that's that's why they end up like they want. Yeah, she's fake on economic uh, policies, but they want the policies that they think she advocates for. And those are really the same policies we advocate for. Sure. Which is why and, we need Matthew
1: Ho or somebody to get up in this hizzy and <laughs> run for office or do something.
14: Yeah. I think yeah. we just need to be a bit more willing to see those people as our allies rather than our friends. I think we even are people who are way closer to us, like Ryan Grimm and, and people like that, we're very critical of, and I and I get it, but we need to be nicer to everyone cuz we even have to figure out a way to get along to be get along with these people realistically if we're going to have if it's going to be a big movement if it's going to be something popular um what mark was saying before unfortunately he cut off cuz he was starting to bring some some stuff with nixon at the time but i think what he was getting to maybe was that back then in the 60s like people were in the streets and people were agitating and if something like that were to happen again the people that would be with the left would be probably people voting for Marjorie Taylor Greene before it would be it would be liberals. If we were going to have people that are saying, we're not going to take this, we need a change, we need to go in a different direction, it's going to be those people. It's not going to be the liberals. The liberals are our enemies. And maybe our enemies, enemies are friends, but our primary enemy is the liberals. There's no reason any leftist person or politician should be supporting Hakeem Jeffries.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure that, Bukes. Look, thank thank you for calling in. I'm already, like, 21 minutes over when I wanted to stop, and I want to get back to Mark and just a couple more people, but thank you. I think that you made a lot of solid points.
14: Absolute pleasure talking to you, and you're great. Have a great night.
1: Thanks, Bukes. Keep the faith. All right, Mark, let's try this again. You were about to say some stuff about
4: Nixon and the EPA.
11: <laughs> well, you know, I went, and I went on the rant, so now I'm not sure what uh, – can't can't really do it again but uh, yes uh nixon um uh you know he established the epa signed it into law same thing with osha uh advocated for a guaranteed annual income did a lot of left-wing kinds of things but the reason he did them is because he could see the protesters encamped outside of his window at mm. the white house and you know we had millions of people in the street and nobody knew what was going to happen and that was a very powerful incentive to make concessions and i think that's what we're going to need for medicare for all and the other stuff on my mind was uh, i love that you had jen briney on she is so great i don't understand why other people aren't doing this uh you know 20 years ago i went looking for someone to do it who was doing it in California to find out what laws were being passed. And I couldn't mm. find anyone. You'd okay. think there'd be people in every congressional district or precinct who would take this on. And so I'm so glad she does it.
1: Yeah, she and, does the Lord's she does such important work. If if you, you if anyone has a spare buck or two and wants to contribute to her effort, I think it's such a public service. And maybe this is what Nader was kind of talking about when he was saying, well if I had a thousand Paid staffers, because you know these things are like full time jobs to go through all of these, um, all this legislation, and to watch all of the hearing transcripts, and to put together prospective legislation the way that Steven Sibler um, has done. Like it's work, and people are doing these kinds of things as side projects occasionally. Someone like Jen is successful enough that they get to do it full time. But imagine if you did have like a thousand or 10,000 or however many said paid people that were doing a media component, that were doing a legislative component, that were doing an organizing component, that was doing a mutual aid component, it would be kind of extraordinary.
11: Yes, no question. And uh, I agree, uh, you know, support Jen Briney if you can, because uh, uh, her, her uh, uh, podcasts are so illuminating. Mm-hmm. Now, now, I did want to mention about Force the Vote, that this is the gift that keeps on giving. I mean if if the gift was like a lump of coal or bitter ashes. But uh I saw your interview with Ro ro uh Rokana on the Rising last week. And mm-hmm. it surprised me very much that when you pressed him, and I'm glad you did, even it meant you had to apologize to your co host for taking mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. But uh he, but but he in response to your question, he said he believed Pelosi would not have allowed a floor vote on medicare for all even if the squad had held out well this is clearly untrue because look at the media circus the republicans got you know by the third vote people would have been saying what's going on why won't she let them have a vote Mm
4: -hmm. uh
11: and and this is i've always i know it's good to have a lot of asks and to have your ducks in a row as to everything you want but i've always been one who believed in the single demand and the single demand of Medicare for all had the enormous thing that it's uh, advantage that is clear, and it is selfless. Mm-hmm. It's not about committee assignments or more power or a career advancement. It's about mm-hmm. doing something for the people. And uh, you know, I, I I I'll admit, if I had done the hard work and got into Congress. And suddenly I got this nice paycheck coming in. I got as much medical care as I want. I got a gym and other benefits. And they give me more than a million dollars to set up offices and hire staff. I might also say, let's not derail this gravy train. Mm. But the irony is that I believe if five of those squad members had stood up and said, we're not voting for you until we force a floor vote on Medicare for All, they would have been reelected forever, as long as they wanted to run, mm-hmm. just like FDR was elected till the, he, he died, mm-hmm. uh, because people would not forget that. Uh, and uh, I, I just want to mention it in passing that I think I, I'm now going to consider this uh, AOC's first commandment do no reputational and relational harm. <laughs>
1: Oh, man, you're really you're you're making some good points here. I I think that your point about the selflessness of the Medicare for all floor vote as an of an ask as an ask has it's such a strong one because you can hear it in the tone that both AOC took and the broader media has taken, including Republicans, about what the you know, the 20 Republican holdouts were asking for, there is this implication that they're selfish. They're willing to put the party down because they want committee appointments and because they want, you know, to, to claw more power for themselves. And I think that's, frankly, an unfair criticism. I think the things they're asking for are meaningful and it's good to disempower the speaker because democracy. However, if you want to resist that characterization, having the central ask of a floor vote for Medicare for all over everything else, it, it does it does cast you as the populist hero against the establishment crony. It, it is rhetorically, I mean, they they're, they're right now, because we're two years out, there's been a lot, you know, so much of the conversation has been focused on how all oh, the, the, I, I would have been for it, but for the ask. So I've been really stressing how there were, a multiplicity of asks and you weren't for it. You thought the strategy was bad. Sam Cedar said explicitly he thought the strategy was bad in our conversation. But also I don't want to back away from the fact that I do think the ask of Medicare for all four vote was good. It was meaningful. And the fact that people can't remember why, because we've already forgotten what it was like to be in those early days of COVID is exactly why we should have done it.
11: Right. Right. And, uh, you know, you and Jimmy Dore, I would single out as you deserve so much credit for it, for us to vote. Uh, it was so revealing of what was going on on the left. It continues, as I say, it continues to reveal to this day. Um, I thought in particular, Jimmy Dore's uh, original speech, where he pushed the idea, said, forgive me my trespasses against you and I forgive you for anything you've done to me. Let's do this. I thought that was a great piece of oratory. Mm-hmm. Um, now, your interview with uh, Professor Morton, mm-hmm. very interesting. Uh, he's a very eco philosopher. Uh, uh, he likes contradictions, I found him to be quite the interesting character. Mm-hmm. But I was very, very surprised by his comments about r- the Rainbow Warrior. He said, Oh, well, you stop a whaling shit. Who remembers that? Well, mm-hmm. the Rainbow Warrior was in the 70s and early 80s. That was 40 years ago. And Professor Morton seems to remember them. And the mm-hmm. other thing was, it just wasn't about whaling, uh, seals and dolphins and anti nuclear work. In fact, the anti nuclear work was so threatening that the French government bombed the boat, killing a photographer on board. So what they did was, was very significant. And I was surprised to see it dismissed. Mm. Yeah, Uh, I
1: wasn't familiar. So I appreciate that perspective.
11: And uh, I'll, uh, I'll wrap it up there. I've got some airline horror stories, but so does everybody.
1: (laughs) Well, I appreciate you, Mark. I really enjoyed everything you had to say today and I hope to hear from you again soon.
11: Well, I want to tell you, I'm, still so much in your fan club in fact i am going to run for president as soon as i can figure out how
1: <laughs> you're a trip
11: <laughs> keep the faith brie
1: keep the faith mark thank you so
11: much. all right much. Bye-bye. bye-bye
1: all right jonathan thank you uh for finding that um flag don't try it on me oven flag i've already made it the banner on my twitter i'm really excited thank you so much <laughs>
15: It's, I, I was cracking up as much as you were i uh anyway like what an, what an act to follow like that's how am I supposed to follow that that was perfect
4: yeah it was uh, really
15: he great. also he also said a good chunk of what I wanted to say like i like hearing this thing in the beginning like Dina you're a sadist and a masochist and I love you for it uh <laughs> it's i' I'm, I'm having like deja vu of reading that chapter that in in an nonsporable book. And for some reason, that was the only part of the book I enjoyed, just hate reading. And she, it's almost like she made almost identical arguments in this video that she made to Anand in that chapter, except without the hagiographic, hey you know, inter, like, uh, you know, intermissions with Anand speaking. And uh, but I mean, it's I guess she noticed that his book sales weren't doing very well and decided to do it in a Instagram Live as well. And uh, just it, one of the most offensive things to me is like the way she continues. Because like, when she's talking about YouTubers, she's clearly talking about Jimmy Dore and only Jimmy Dore mm-hmm. and not and pretending like kind of invisibilizing your presence, which, you know, I think did a, a tremendous degree to legitimize uh, force the, the force the vote movement in the first place. Because, like, Jimmy wouldn't have, like, necessarily known how to, like, start organizing people or talk to the DSA people and, you know, build a coalition out of it. And he he acknowledged that uh, multiple times. Like, there was a certain degree you ran in circles that were much more kind of mainstream, and you were a core part of, of that movement and that ask. And the fact that she continues to just pretend like you weren't there is offensive to me. And I think you should never, ever, ever stop talking about force the vote. Because all of this stuff is super important. You are super right. And, you know, these people are like stuck in amber. Like, Ben is literally making the exact same arguments he was making two years ago with no alteration, frozen in amber.
1: It's it's crazy. Like, like I have no problem debating him. It's just that it would be a waste of everybody's time. Like, I'm certainly not afraid of him saying... The exact same things that I do. like. We have a fundamental disagreement. Like, hi, I'm Ben, and I think everything is voluntarism because you just think that if AOC wanted it hard enough, that she can manifest Medicare for all, and that's not true. Wow, Ben, interesting take. No one knows what voluntarism even fucking is, and nobody believes that. So. Good job arguing with yourself. I'm going to excuse myself from this interesting conversation, Socratic style that you're having with some with, with your own brain. Like it's just exhausting, you know? Like
8: yeah, and a
15: whole a whole litany <laughs> of reasons why they can't pick the low hanging power fruit hanging down right in front of their face. Like here it is, pick the fruit. It's right in front of you. You want power? Here it is, grab it. No, you can't do that. You can't do that. You have to sit and organize about it for thirty years, and uh, and then then and only then uh can you so anyway like that like that was just uh like like hearing that thing was just like kind of the icing on the cake of this is the brain rot that these people were possessed with and this is still their excuse for why they couldn't do that simple thing and i think it's important i think it's important for people to see this to realize it i think it's important for them to know the connection between this and, you know, the railway strike uh, breaking vote and what happened there mm. and the same thing happening over again. And I think it's important for them to see that the Republicans just, you know, were like, hey, look, weapons laying on the table. I'm going to take them and use them. And, yep. you know, it goes back to exactly what I was saying about what happened to Ralph Nader begging these people to uh you know, to do all these things, and then, you know, 10, 20 years later, along comes Newt Gingrich doing exactly what Ralph Nader begged them to do 20 years before. Yeah. And uh, I should also say about that episode, uh, you know, I did tell you Matt Stoller's friends like to bash Ralph Nader. But uh, they forgot to mention... They forgot... I don't know, like, they seem to... he seems to be a lightning rod for all their frustrations, but they forgot to mention... That that institution, uh, you know, by the like the FP, like the the DOT and the and the FAA, like by that time, was already like majorly captured by the by the airline you know corporations, and the tail was wagging the dog. So I could see the argument, yeah, the uh, that maybe they threw the baby out with the bathwater, but they also didn't do exactly what Ralph Nader said, and there's kind of an unfair dumping on on Nader for that. Uh, although I think, uh, I think the, uh, previous caller Mark was, uh, was definitely, uh, or was it Mark that brought up the, the fact that, uh, Ralph Nader kind of poo-pooed the, the, uh, tomato soup for the soul thing? Mm -hmm,
4: mm -hmm.
15: Yeah, yeah, because like that, that I think is just a factor of him getting older. 1970s Ralph would not have...
1: But that's what's dismissed. so confusing. I mean, don't you remember him saying the thing about dressing up like a waiter and sneaking into an event And the, the last time he was on the show? I just I, – I, I wish I had asked him. I mean, he had a heart out, but I wish I had asked him earlier in the show because I actually did intend to get into that with him because I don't see the difference. Like, <laughs> I don't see the yeah, difference. Yeah, well, you'll
15: have to have him on again. There, Well, there isn't one, and I, I think um, – You know, that's, you actually have, I think, one of the best and most sophisticated analyses of the actual meaning of, of that protest and why it was a positive development in its own right. Uh, and, you know, to a certain degree, I think it was, it was superior to your guests on Monday, even though his was also very good in its way. But, uh, you know, just the the heightening the contradictions and what it does to people. Psychologically, the reaction they had to a can of tomato soup being thrown on a painting that, by the way, was still covered with glass. So like it didn't hurt the painting, but that like the the angry, protective feelings, the 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 thing that was primed in their brain, um, you know, that reaction they had, that's something that, that heightens the contradictions and causes them to think about, hey, why was this primed in me? Uh, and why did I have this visceral reaction to this painting? Like it's it's a thing. It's stuff. It's it's just you know like yeah, they strokes think on more canvas.
1: Passionately about it than they uh, do the life of a thirteen year old boy apparently.
15: Right. Well, that I do think that they're related in a sense, and uh, you know I like like obviously. It, I don't want this to come off the necessarily like I'm like I'm defending the people in the chat's reaction. But I think that that keeps happening when you have these discussions for for a reason. And I think that, uh, you know, that human psychology is, is kind of behind it and that uh, I think there is a degree to which, uh, you know, people have a strong psychological need to feel secure in, you know, their homes, which they consider their car an extension of. And rather than thinking about how this was just some random dude that, you know, decided he was going to play vigilante because he saw too much propaganda on TV and went and shot, you know, a 13-year-old child over somebody else's car, they start, they're primed to think about, you know, their their own stuff, and uh i think robbie touched on it when he said oh the car for a lot of these people is the only way to get to work it kind of acknowledged that feeling in them and made them instantly sympathetic to his point of view and i think it primes uh what uh, ari kroglonsky uh who's a, a friend of christian picciolini is a great psychologist who studies the psychology of closed-mindedness and of extremism uh he it primes a phenomenon that he calls need for closure right and that um you know, essentially makes people more predisposed to uh authoritarian kind of law and order thinking. It makes them feel immediately protective of their own stuff. It it elevates racial animus and it makes them at least temporarily impervious to reason. Which I an interesting experiment would be to try uh instead of because obviously my instinct is the same as yours, like you're a bad person if you think that that stuff is more important than that actually super cute little 13 year old boy. Like this was an adorable child. Like why would, like the notion that you would, that somebody would point a gun at that child and see that child in their crosshairs and squeeze the trigger is like obviously horrifying. But you know, I think people like you and me are, are inoculated to a degree against having that reaction. Whereas people that are not might, you know, even people that are more inclined to be sympathetic to our point of view, they have that knee jerk reaction, that instinctive reaction. And when we tell them that they're bad people for having that reaction or that feeling, they immediately go into bunker mode, get defensive and won't hear a word we say.
7: And, I mean, like, this is why yeah. I
1: said to Robbie, like, I'm not going to argue with you at the value of a, a child's life. Like and I actually don't have to argue with anybody because apart from some stand the ground laws, like you're not allowed to use disproportionate, you're not allowed to use lethal force to stop a non-lethal act. So, home home slice is going to jail. Like odds are the guy who shot this kid is going to jail. So you can think I he's great so. yeah. and he's a hero and you want to be like him, but you guys can all be rotting in jail together. Cause like I'm just warning you. You think it's righteous and cool, but you're not allowed to fucking kill people in the street because you think they're doing a property crime. So, God bless, do what you will with that knowledge. I don't have to argue with you because on this one point, the criminal justice system makes half a bit of sense, you know. So, like, I um, I don't want to be in that space, but like, you know, I, I was thinking about it. I was thinking about it in the context of the little the six year old who shot his teacher, and how like there seems to be an acknowledgement that like even though it was quote-unquote intentional, they keep emphasizing, like, it's, he meant to shoot the teacher. Like, no one believes that that means anything when you're talking about somebody so young.
15: A six-year-old, yeah.
1: So it's like, at what point are we going to hop from six to 30? Thir- like, at what point do we are suddenly imputing all of this accountability on a person? Like, my feeling is that, like, if the guy had shot a dog in the street, there would be more public sympathy, and people would be saying, like, that guy should go to jail. And part of that is because people like dogs more than blind people. But put that to the side for a second. I think it's because also there's this idea that the dog is not culpable. It's just a dog. And it's just crazy to me that, like, we know these people are children. We legally classify them as children. If you have sex with them, it's rape because they're children. Like, we understand all of these things. But, like, the idea of... Someone making a youthful mistake, or frankly, again, I just I hate this. We don't even know that that kid was trying to steal a car. We don't know anything about the situation other than what the guy who murdered him told us.
15: Right, I think, and that, like, the issue is, I think a lot of those people in the audience, in the comments, or whatever, are not getting to the point where they're even thinking about that because I think there is a substantial portion of that audience that, if they bothered to think about any of those things that you just mentioned, would be like, "Oh, that's bad. Like, that's really awful. Like." You know, that they would, they would basically be on our side. I think uh, the fact that they were, were primed to react that way, which is also, I think, why a lot of, of black families in inner city neighborhoods react in the way that they, they in, a, in that negative way, to ideas like defund the police, even though when you sit and explain it to them, they're like, oh, that makes sense. That's good. But, uh, you know, that, that instinctive reaction, you know, no, don't get rid of the police. Uh, we need them to stop these bad guys and protect our, our you know, keep our space safe. Uh, you know, it, it does serious damage to people, like, for instance, when they are homeless for a protracted period of time for that reason. But even amongst that population, you will see in homeless shelters, these people try to make their space safe and their stuff safe, and they will sleep wrapped around their rucksack full of, of whatever it is they have. Like that's a, that's a strong human instinct, and once that's primed, I think, Uh, reason goes out the window. And if you can disarm that bomb, you can actually get these people to listen, like at least a higher percentage of them that aren't already like predisposed to be, you know, higher in need for closure, um, that you, you could theoretically reach some of those people that reacted negatively in the comments and get them to think about the actual yeah. facts of the case that you were because mentioning. I'm
1: sure I'm sure that's true. I just know this, this for me is my limit. I had to talk to my mom and get talked down after this one because I will not be in the business of convincing anybody. I will not be – it diminishes me too much as a human being to have to argue with a single goddamn person on planet Earth about why you shouldn't shoot a 13-year-old boy. That's just – that's my limit. I'm just acknowledging my own personal limit. This is why God bless me and everybody else who's in the criminal justice space. It's not for me. It's too much for me. I can't do it. I cannot do that's it. That's fair enough.
15: It's not for everybody like that. There's certain things that you know arguing it takes a lot out of me too. Like I know that feeling well, but uh, I, I also wouldn't necessarily consider it any kind of uh, uh, you know a failing that uh, you know to, that uh, those people uh, you know keep reacting in a way that's that's so disappointing on a human level. It's uh, I think one of those things that I learned studying the uh, the the, the Holocaust, which was kind of what got me into looking into psychology in the first place was the degree to which there's a potential to be a monster in front of even people that that uh, that seem very decent. And if you're not on guard, uh, you can find yourself, uh, you know, taking positions, saying things, doing things that you'd be ashamed of looking back on.
1: Yeah, look, here's the deal. You go after these people in the comment section with this little black kid. I'll take on some Nazis. We can meet in the middle.
15: <laughs> Definitely.
1: But this this shit is this shit's a little like I was I was raw. I was like, let me get out of here because I'm about to end my relationship with Robbie right now. Over I mean, this- it's
15: hard to see a picture of that kid and not react that way. Like, like it's like you said, he looked like he was wearing like a SpongeBob backpack. I'm like, come right. on, like that's that's a cute little kid. Yeah.
1: I, like, it's the people on. in the comments saying the age doesn't matter. I agree. Like I said earlier in this call, he could have been a 35 year old criminal. And I still would say you shouldn't fucking shoot people because human life has value. And just because he doesn't yeah. look like your uncle or someone that you know, doesn't mean there aren't people who loved him and that his life wasn't valuable and that he, that he didn't have the right to have the opportunity to rehabilitate himself and to have a, a long life with all of the kind of changes and tips, tips and turns and stuff that we all experience. Um, over the course of a long life. Um, what are we going to do with all like, these people
15: with guns that think they can use them that way? Like, I I don't know. Like, what are, like, these people are out there and they're yeah. doing this. Like, what are yeah. we going to do?
1: Well, look, Jonathan, let me try to wrap up before three. Do you have anything else? All you right, sorry about I'm that. Yeah. Push
15: on? No, that's it. That's it. Okay. Thank you so that's much for I calling
1: got. in and thank you again for my graphic. <laughs> Keep the faith. Yeah. All right, DJ, you look like a new caller. What's on your mind
8: tonight? Oh, hey. Uh, no, I, this is my second time calling in. Last time I had a Luther Vandross uh, icon, but this time I have a Bizarrap and Shakira. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> you know, you guys are figuring out how to bait me. All right. What's, what's on your mind tonight?
8: Um, okay. I had a few things, but I'll start off probably with the one that I think is more important, but like, okay. So ever since, um, Katie Porter announced, I've been like, first I was like, okay, like I'm kind of over any, like, politicians, like, I I haven't donated to anybody, like, since Bernie 2020, and then, I don't know, it's just, like, it, something, it got me excited, I guess, kind of how seeing, like, the establishment kind of, like, being so, like, there was immediate pushback, and I was just like, oh, like, maybe, maybe there's something here, and then I guess, the more I started thinking about it, I guess, is that I don't know. I feel like on the left, sometimes we have to be maybe like just a little bit more Machiavellian. Like we just need to like we we need to stop looking at these politicians like they're our saviors. Because I mean, because I'm guilty of this like definitely. Because like that's kind of how like I was with like Bernie and in, in, in 2016. You know, I was like okay, like I'm donating the 27 dollars. I like did the door knocking stuff. Uh, I mean, I canvassed in, in in 2016 and 2020. And we want California. So, you know, I'm just happy about (laughs) that.
1: (laughs) Well done, sir.
8: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. But, uh, but like, you know, it's just been like so disappointing, like with the squad members too, like it's just been so disappointing. But, but then I guess I've just been thinking about it the last two days and it's just like, you know, I, I feel like the right kind of understood this with Trump because like, you know, evangelicals are. Like, they voted for Trump. He's, like, the antithesis of, like, what they're supposed to like in a politician. But mm-hmm. but they voted for him because it, it seems like they understood, okay, he's going to appoint these judges. He's going to do these things. So it seems like they were, like, they understood that kind of strategy. Where on the left, it still seems like we're kind of, like, hoping these people are going to be our saviors when, when they're not. You know, like, they don't have to be perfect. And so, so I don't know, I guess, in in someone like Katie Porter, you know, being from Southern California, it's like, her winning in Irvine in South mm-hmm. Orange County is actually very impressive to me, like, her being an economic populist, because this is an affluent area, this isn't like, mm-hmm. like, a, like, necessarily a culturally um, conservative area, you know, like, where it would make, you know, maybe like, somewhere in the Midwest where people are populist and and you know but are just socially conservative and they get like baited that way like this is the opposite and so her actually pulling this off like two times uh in this area like i actually think she's very savvy um
1: yeah i'm inclined to agree and again i'm not i'm just not i don't have the same kind of frustration with her as i do some other squad members even if she isn't as radical on some of these you know left issues precisely because she never she's not misrepresenting herself yeah you know she just is who he is like i'm not mad at like let's pick some random normie um democrat like gretchen whitmer or whatever like i mm-hmm. i i didn't wasn't rooting for her i was rooting for abdul elsaid like i you know like she's not my person but i'm not sitting around fuming thinking oh gretchen whitmer doesn't you yeah know, like what i like i mean maybe that's a bad example because actually her dad is a. um blue cross blue Shield, uh ceo oh. um and that was part of the whole background of her race with abdullah said that she was big he was running on a statewide medicare for all program and she was like no all of my money is from blue cross blue shield
4: um <laughs> oh, uh.
1: but so but you know what i mean like so i'm not yeah. like randomly mad at democrats just being who they are oh. like, whatever it's I don't no no energy. but like you know, I am frustrated with the squad because they misrepresented themselves. Katie Porter sure. is just Katie Porter. She's someone who's way more left than you would expect of her district, and that I, I'm just I count that as a win. And she she actually does use her time in Congress, heightening the contradictions between what pro- progressive Democrats say that they are, who they say they are, and what they will do, and exposing them and with her little whiteboard and like doing the damn thing. So she seems like a positive influence in Congress, and that good. I root for her in her life. I wish she would be nicer to some of her staffers. And then that's all I have to say about that, you know?
8: Yeah, no, totally, totally. And um, yeah, no, I just, I guess the more I thought about it, it seemed like she would be, like, she could be useful because, like, I mean, I guess the more I think about this and, and just, like, okay, if we start having, uh, like, mass demonstrations or, or anything like this starts happening, I, I think back to, like, that that FDR, you know, Was it William Randolph quote, like, you know, make me do it kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's like, who do we want to be in power when we get to that point? Because, like, there's so many Democratic politicians that would just be like, well, no, like, screw you guys. Like, I'm just gonna, I'm still gonna kill Medicare for all. Like, you know, like, like Biden, you know, like, it's just the absolute, like, no, right? Like, he's totally willing to just kill it, even if we get it to that point, right? Where Mm -hmm. if it's someone like Katie Porter like it's it, it, it just seems a lot more doable so I don't know I guess maybe just I don't know that's what I was thinking and so I, I actually donated five dollars to her and like signed up for the recurring thing and I was like god damn it I did it again like I, I can't you know because I gave to all the squad and it did all that and phone banked for them too and I'm just like ah, I'm falling for it again but I don't know it's just five dollars this time so I'm like whatever Look, know, I but... think it's
1: like I, I know that people. I know that people go really hard against participating in electoralism at all in this chat. But I think some of the yeah. quieter folks who aren't so vocal, like when, when I talk to these candidates, we had a bunch of candidate interviews over the summer. Mm-hmm. I like them. I think they mean well. I root for them. I want good things for them. I have given to them, like yeah even even if i know that everything's impossible in a long shot and i think the strategy is not what i would choose and it's a waste of time and resources like <laughs> I, you know it's hard for me to look in the face of someone who's trying so hard and and means so yeah. well and is a positive influence out in the world and not want to help them
8: yeah no you know? I, I yeah no i i totally get that i totally get that so i don't know i was just calling in just to see just to say that because i don't know I, I feel like maybe we we should we should give her a shot in california and uh but uh i did want to mention about um the 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 thing on monday like uh, like avatar never came up like in the interview or in like the call-in like i feel like that's a good example of like good propaganda like I did, did you see the the new avatar
1: no i haven't seen it in what way
8: um I don't know, I just did you see the first one?
1: Mm. Mm-hmm, like
8: Yeah, I ago or Yeah, I know. It was a long time ago. Yeah. I mean cuz I guess cuz when you look at some of the Marvel movies, like it's just like I don't know, they're just all like fascist, but like this is like I feel like it's like the opposite of those movies. Like it's it's uh I mean it's it's like a simple story, but but it's uh I don't know, I feel like it gets it right, like, it's, it's like, basically they get you rooting for the Viet Cong, like, you know, the mm-hmm. just whatever, a- any, like, indigenous people of the United States, like, and and, I don't know, I just feel like, it, I almost felt like it was like a call to action, it was almost kind of like, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, that's just kind of the way I took it, because I stopped watching these Marvel movies, and they piss me off all the time, but, like, uh but yeah it was just like it makes you think about like we like people need to stand up like no no one is gonna do it for us like we have to actually you know do it like I don't know that's kind of the way I saw it but
1: yeah I um I mean I remember I remember the first one kind of I guess uh and I you know obviously there's all the commentary about like you know, is it just Pocahontas in space? And, da, da, da. and the implication of that is, well, Pocahontas is a good anti-imperialist story. Um, yeah. If you think Avatar is reductive or whatever, and so if it if you think it's doing a good job making people understand critiques of imperialism and corporatism and extractive politics, then it seems like a win to me, despite. I know there's a lot of discourses going on about cultural appropriation and the hairstyles of the aliens and whether or not they look like uh, they're, borrowing, they're borrowing things from native peoples and all of that. I yeah. can't weigh in. I haven't seen it. But if there's a silver lining to it and it's uh, you think it's it's opening people's eyes to how the real world works,
8: yeah. power I, to them. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, yeah, it's definitely – I mean, I, I want to say I, I don't think there was really – I saw th- that on Twitter. Um but sometimes I wonder like who's actually I don't know, like I don't know. Like it, it didn't really seem like a big deal to me cuz this is like I don't know, the appropriation stuff is weird sometimes. I I don't know. But like it's it, it it's, it's very clear like there's no quibbles about it. Like it is anti-imperialist. Like it, the bad guys are like, the imperialist humans, like, it, it's, it's, they're the ones doing all the, uh, all the bad stuff, so, I, I don't know, like, it's, um uh, well, maybe
1: I'll, I'll, uh, I'll watch it and have, I'm pretty sure that Leslie has a pro-Avatar take, so maybe I'll invite Leslie on, it would be nice to invite, oh, yeah, wish, force the vote and other things, I made it so that there's all kind of interesting people I would love to have on to talk about this, but I guess, or... <laughs> persona non grata to me but i'll figure out i'll figure it out maybe we can have a nice pop culture episode about it i Thanks know for the, calling in. Sorry, yeah,
8: the, uh, just yeah very just the i i know i know the the, the Chapo guys i know they, they did reviews of the <laughs> I, I don't know how you are with them but like uh but i thought they had a really good movie review about about this and and the original one too they did yeah they do really, they
1: do great they do great stuff yeah they do they do great pop culture review stuff they're
4: very funny and talented
8: yeah, 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 but uh but thank you. I I, I love your show. You probably don't remember me from the last time, but yeah, like you're like my no, favorite. I remember show, you, Luther. So. <laughs> oh, thank <laughs> you. In, DJ. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. All right, keep it right.
1: All right, sorry to cut you off, Chris. You're the last one. Do you think we can get out of here in the three hour mark?
16: Yeah, I'll be quick and this is the second time I've been your last caller so um Really? Yeah, the the first time was like a, I don't know, a month ago maybe when the first time I ever got to talk to you. Did
1: so. I rush you out the last time too?
16: No. You were you were I guess much more energized. You were going on a marathon session so. Um, okay,
1: good. I, I just don't want you to feel like you keep drawing the short straw. What's
16: no, no, tonight? no. Um well, I guess everybody's kind of covered a lot of the things that were on my mind, so I won't repeat any of those things. Um, but one thing I am kind of curious to get your take on, um, is because, um, people like yourself and, uh, a few other, uh, people that kind of, uh, make me feel like I'm not crazy <laughs> when it comes to politics because I feel like a lot of leftists I know, um, kind of, do a lot of gaslighting or just defending these squad type tactics and stuff like that because I work for a, I work for a racial justice nonprofit in the Denver area and um, we do a lot of – I feel like mostly what we do is just run cover for shitty Democrats like John Hickenlooper and Michael Bennett and Jared Polis and these type of people if you're familiar mm-hmm. with their politics. Um, mm-hmm. And it just got Everyone to the point
1: Michael where –
16: Yes, my my organization endorsed him this past time when he for his reelection, and I was really? like, "How? Like how? We're talking about how progressive we are and all this stuff, and we're endorsing Michael Bennett? Like, oh, but um, you know, hearing people like you and uh, I, I agree with Jimmy Dore's politics. I don't watch his show too much because he's just got a level of rage that I don't think is healthy for me. But um, <laughs> um, people like you guys though um have really inspired me to um you know, get up off my ass and get more involved and try and do more. And that has kind of led me to uh, run for city council this year in the city I live in, which is, um, it's a city called Aurora. It's like almost 400,000. If you're familiar with Elijah McClain at that city, um, we have, um, this weird dynamic where, the entire city is, it's like 65% Democrat voters or something like that. So every rep that we vote for, for Congress, the state house, all Democrats, but our city council is Republican controlled and has been since the city's inception because Democrats refuse to vote in city council races mm-hmm. um, and Republicans turn out. So that's why we get things like the Elijah McClain case where we have this racist police force that's allowed to do their thing because we have Republicans in charge of selecting our police chiefs. Mm -hmm. Um, Wasn't this also where the
1: the movie shooting was?
16: Yes. Yes. But yeah. yeah. Good memory. (laughs) That was actually the funny thing about that is uh, when I first came out to Denver, just to kind of check it out to see if I wanted to move out here, it was that weekend. I was like, I had people blowing up my phone. Like, are you okay? Are you okay? I was like, what happened? (laughs) Um, Yeah. um, Yeah. So, Long story short, I am running for city council, um, and you know we we have this situation where Republicans are getting—they're outspending us like ten to twenty to one because they have all this dark money coming in, mm-hmm. um, just tons and tons of money. And for us on the more progressive side, like Democrats don't really help out with small uh, or like local races. And I was just curious, since you're well more connected than than I am into this, these kind of circles, like, are you aware of any national groups that actually give a shit about getting Democrats elected to city councils and, like, local offices to try and take back the country the way Republicans kind of took over the country over the past generation with taking over just every local office? That's a really – Because I feel really... like they to exist, right? Like,
1: <laughs> That's a good question. Let me just give get a quick Google because I, I do feel like occasionally I'll hear I'll hear someone like um what do you call them Pod Save guys talk about mm. how important local elections. Are. I mean you know they're, they're reasonable you know everyone can agree on things like this and yeah. uh, they they're with their huge audience they'll they like they put together some kind of um, donation or phone tree type stuff around twenty twenty. I think they're able actually to mobilize a lot of people. But it would be. They, sometimes they encourage their audience to like own a state, like to to basically like like you buy a piece of highway, like you you know you mm-hmm. adopt a state rather is the word I am looking for. I got like, you. It would be nice to see them direct stuff toward those kinds of efforts, and maybe they have in the past, but I can't say that I am especially familiar. But it does seem like there has been this recognition among Democrats of late that they've they've um, abandoned these state houses with all of the. 1619 censorship trans attacks stuff that's going on that they shouldn't have let the school boards get quite so gully yeah. um, and these local offices be quite so abandoned and there's all this conversation around also all of the the progressive prosecutor discourse and that we need to be more engaged in those kinds of races and so I would imagine that there are efforts that came out of all of that I just can't say I'm sorry that I'm especially familiar with any specific ones
16: no, it's all right. I just wanted to check and see because I'm about to have to beg and beg and beg for money for the next like five months. So
1: well, look, why don't <laughs> you tell Republican us
16: you, don't have to do that.
1: <laughs> why don't you at least tell this audience how they can support you? What's your um?
16: Oh, your, what's your website?
1: What's your name? What's your deal?
16: Oh, well, you've got a, you've got name, a compatriot yeah, here. Capture 12 yeah, lives that, in Aurora as true. well. Who, who's that?
1: Capture 12. Someone oh, in the nice. chat is also in Aurora.
16: That is amazing. Uh, well, my name is Chris Rhodes. I actually just filed today. So I have to uh, figure out how to create a website, which I have never done in my life and uh, all that fun stuff. But um, <laughs> I, I've created all, like I have to create all this stuff. We're announcing this weekend. So I'm a little behind the eight ball because I do have a full time job and an eight month old child. So <laughs> it's, it's a lot, I but, see, What
1: a cutie. OK, Chris, um, we're going to support you. I just decided. Okay. So <laughs> do you have a sense of how many votes you are going to need to win?
16: um well the city's like 400,000 split up into six wards so that's probably going to be like i want to say it's like probably like 30 or 40,000 because you know so many people don't turn out though because it's in an off they always have the city council elections in off years so like the voter participation just plummets mm. um so it's do you, not do a, you have, um,
1: a local uh dsa or socialist alternative chapter or both
16: we do we have a denver dsa um the the issue is, I guess, I, I'm, I've, I'm, I've been told that I have to choose between getting the pipe fitters $4,000 donation, which is the, the max I can get from like a small, what do they call it, a small donor committee, or if I get DSA's endorsement, they won't really give me money. And then the pipe fitters won't endorse me. <laughs> so I'm I'm kinda having to figure that out. Um What is which the one of those they I'm have in
1: terms of their willing their ability to mobilize, like door knocking for you or other kind of efforts that might be worth more to you than four thousand dollars?
16: I'm not 100% sure because they haven't really ever gotten too involved in this city's elections. They usually focus more on Denver, and Denver does theirs to where their city council elections are also this year, and I think the election's in April. So DSA is all in on um, Denver city council elections right now, and then once those are over – they're planning on shifting over to our city. Cause we're just right next to them or the city between Denver and the airport. Mm. And like we have this, we have, it's, I don't know. It's just a really weird city in Colorado because we're so diverse. We have like, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 different ethnic groups and like 80 different languages spoken here because so many of these people that work at the airport live in Aurora because it's right mm. there. And it's, it's basically where all the immigrants live and it's in, it's one of the most diverse cities in the country it's really amazing but um dsa's wanting to get involved because um we have uh an open socialist who's running for mayor and then he's he's a current city council member but he's running for mayor and um his opponent is a former us congressman uh, who lost to jason crow and then ran for mayor <laughs> And he's getting backed by a lot of Coke money and all that kind of fun stuff. So, um, Isn't and then we, we have another wife? open source. uh, she's,
1: Zerota's she's in Denver. She's in Denver. Well, I'm, she's I'm, not,
16: I'm, she's not in city council. She's a, she's a state rep.
1: State, yeah. Okay. So I'm seeing a lot of, I'm just trying to get a sense of how to get some uh, press energy, et cetera. I wonder the fact that there's, you know, if, if the, if this can be framed as a little like lefty insurgency in Aurora, Colorado, a mm-hmm. city that's dealt with these racial justice issues with these gun violence issues. It's been ignored by the democratic party. Da-da-da-da. Like I can see a nice little narrative going there that would maybe start to get the attention of like a Sirota or a Ryan to write in their respective publications. And then we yeah. can maybe start cooking with fire, gas or electric, whatever you choose. <laughs>
16: I prefer gas, but I have electric. So I'm, I'm used to both. LOL. I did, I did catch, I did catch that earlier on that show. I was just like, wow, is this, that seems like a privileged thing to me, but.
1: Your kitchen, your choice.
16: Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's uh, I don't know. I mean, there's plenty of time. I guess it's not until November, but um, and I will, I, I, I try to tune into your your show as much as my son will allow. But
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right, so, well uh, then, do good luck with the launch this weekend, and do check back in with us um, when things get a little up and going, and you can drop some links to the website and stuff for us. I see people here. I God, I love this community. We're saying things like, "I would fly out and door knock for you." Maybe you can get someone to help you with some of the tech aspects of the of the website. I mean, these people, they have, they're so talented and there's so many resources. So I hope you can find some support in this community yes. and with the broader left community in your, in your city.
16: Yes. Yes. Uh, hopefully. Cause we just got, I mean, the thing is like, we just outnumber Republicans like by so much. It's just how to get Democrats to actually vote in the city council races.
1: <laughs> yeah.
16: So that's the yeah. big problem here.
1: I mean, like, I, I can see a really like a good a good media angle pitch here too. Just as soon as you get just a little bit, you know, off up and running, then we can talk shop.
16: Okay. Sounds good. I uh I will I will get all my uh my logistics ironed out because I just I had to buy a domain name and all this crazy stuff and yeah, trying to hand. even register to vote has been such a pain in the ass. I had to go to like seven different banks just to find one that would actually let me open up an account to receive campaign contributions. Look, oh. I get
1: it. Honestly, it's a miracle that I have a show that somehow runs and all the things get posted, and I file my taxes. Like I honestly don't even know how it's happening right now. So <laughs> I am such a company gal. I would much rather work for an institution so I don't have to think about all of this shit. <laughs> and this year yeah. I have to file because I have like rising and all these other things going on. I'm like, oh, Lord, I, I, I'm I about to pay some accountant an ungodly amount of money because I can't handle it. So administrative tasks, I get it. It's horrible. I hope you get support. Do check in and I can at least try to see what I can do with some of this media angle because you sound great. And um, we want to support you. So thanks for calling in, Chris. Good luck. Keep the faith.
16: Yeah, thank you for everything you do.
1: All right. Um, bye-bye. You guys are great. This has been a great chat as always i appreciate you i will see you oh you guys are gonna love is this playing why is this not playing why is this not playing oh yes you guys are gonna love monday's episode you're gonna be so mad if you're not a subscriber for monday's episode you know i don't plan it this way i'm not like trying to put anything behind a paywall but the chips fell where they may and the interview that i'm doing tomorrow is about to be a banger And you're going to be like, WTF. If you're not on the team. Of course, free clips, 30 minutes or so, will be put up on Bad Faith YouTube. We just got to 70,000 subscribers. Thank you so much for that. Would love to get to 100,000 for my birthday this year. Just a thing to think about. Um, Take care of yourselves. You guys are the best. Keep the faith.